What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Sekiro Podcast, episode 5, for Sunday, the 25th of November, 2018, with 90 days left until the release of Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I am one of your hosts, Albert, along with someone I met on Reddit a few days ago, Cameron. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Fantastic. Um, so in this new sort of era of uh, me doing this, um, as you've probably seen with Interactive Artistry, all the channels getting uh, updated with artwork and everything, you are chronologically, historically the first co-host of that new sort of period going into 2019. So figured I'd let you know that um, right from the get-go, my friend. I am breaking new grounds. You are. You're breaking new ground, buddy. Awesome. So folks who are tuning in, in case this is your first episode, this is the Sekiro podcast, bringing you news, rumors, analysis, theories, and discussions on the Sekiro, uh, you know, on Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and also uh, anything connected to it, you know. Um, we have, uh, we are predominantly a Sekiro show. We will dip into Soulsborne, obviously, inevitably, because it is Sekiro's lineage. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, yeah that basically is the the sort of scope of the show and um, we are essentially covering its past present and future so if you enjoy the show you can go ahead and like share subscribe and hit the bell button here on youtube and on podcast services you can also leave a star rating and a review we'd sincerely appreciate it and if you want to ensure this podcast continues and to help the network grow support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash interactive artistry for a variety of exclusives perks privileges and early access with all of that out of the way Let's get the show started. And listeners, folks tuning in, watching, this is uh, me and um, Cameron's essential like first meeting. You're capturing where you're witnessing this as we as we speak. So, uh, and let's go over a little bit of what we discussed pre-show, man. How's your day been? I have been absolutely fantastic. We are across the world from each other, so I'm enjoying the the slight time difference. As I that's see right, the sunlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. I mean, this guy, again, I'm, I don't feel too bad. Sometimes I feel quite bad because, you know, my window of recordings are sometimes quite uh, like like they're tight. So I have to sort of stick to them. And uh, like one twelve one ish p.m. is sort of like on Sundays is my ideal because I know that for folks in the U.S., uh, my peeps like you in the U.S., um, that's it's doable you know it's it's fairly doable um and three is um yeah that ended up working how it did but i'm happy to do earlier for you next time if you you know for the next episode man anytime man anytime too easy fantastic okay the most appropriate thing would be to start just so that the audience kind of gets a vibe on both of us in terms of our quote-unquote Sekiro cred or Soulsborne cred my friend if you could just let the audience know when you first uh, encountered the, sort of the Soulsborne series and essentially what you think of uh, and how sort of how Sekiro is looking to you. I encountered Dark Souls two, two years after its release. Uh, promptly was absolutely decimated by a certain cemetery. That yep. Very well aware of. That's all um, right. Jumped back into it with Bloodborne upon release and yeah. platinum that game. Haven't stopped since. That's fantastic. fantastic Amazing. And would you say you're more leaning towards the gameplay or to the lore or to both? Gameplay is something that you master within the time frame of playing the game, but you never stop talking or thinking about the lore. Right. 
that's actually very succinctly and eloquently phrased, my friend. I would definitely say that. And my thing that I, my refrain that I return to with Soulsborn and uh, with, yeah, definitely that's carried over even at the early stages, even without as much information as we have of the Soul series now, that uh, my refrain is uh, of this community basically being, um, I think, unparalleled in terms of the, as I call them, the the fields of study <laughs> within sort of interactive artistry. Uh, as in, that's my term, not just for the channel, but for just the wider world of just like video games that are, that have this aspect to them of, of depth and revisitability. And what do you think it is about the Souls games that makes them so revisitable? Well, for one, each one of the bosses in the entire series has incredibly intricate uh, mechanics that are specific to it, which mm. the vast majority of players will never discover unless there is that community building aspect. That's so, right. Whenever you engage with the community, you will always learn something new about something that you had a problem with. And somebody else said, oh, I use daggers only runs. That was no problem for me in particular. So yeah. that it's more engaging the more times you play it and the more uh, communication that you have involved with it. Absolutely. And it really does just lend itself probably because of um, I think I think it's this sort of human nature to when something is shattered uh, and, and fragmented that we just have this impulse. It's maybe out of our sense of it's this is getting very existential very early on in the show, but bear with me. <laughs> That's kind of interactive artistry's deal is that um, when we're faced with something that is fragmented and when, when we have missing information, right? Um, the sort of human kind of nature is to try and give it definition, give it words, explain it, make connections. And it's just how we've been able to kind of live with ourselves in this kind of cosmic uh, unlikelihood that is life, essentially, the sort of um, happenstance. And I think um, no wonder uh, Bloodborne ended up coming around for for uh, Miyazaki because that has like that talks about that exactly, which is, you know, the cosmos being all indifferent to us and, and us being so small and that in the way that his way of storytelling parallels and sort of evokes what we go through as humans of like, what is all this scattered information? How do we make sense of it all? So I think there's a, there's something profoundly human um, about uh, the Soulsborne series for sure in that way. Uh, tying those two ideas together of uh, fragmented mysteries and the Soulsborne community, uh, mm. there is a community which I'm personally a part of, of yeah. only 5,000 players but 5,000 people on the Tomb Prospector subreddit, which oh. is delving into the Chalice Dungeons, everyone's least favorite part of the Bloodborne series, hey. but it still has that many scientists delving into it, as you were saying, so many disciplines. Yes, digital archaeologists and curators as I like to call them. And that isn't some pretentious, oh, look at him trying to elevate. No, no. For me, I've, the discussion has gotten past whether or not games are art. It's just how are games art. Right. And how are uh, how is this medium um, doing something which in many ways, because as I always go, this is my most frequent refrain and get ready to roll your eyes. I'll say it many times. I say it pretty unfettedly, which is that out of all the mediums, including, uh, you know, TV and, and literature and music and film games to be what they are, require your participation. And the only other thing that does that really is life like life itself is is connected to games in this really profound way and that's how these things have this sense of being alive they're not just something you click and then you just sort of sit back to be what they are you need to immerse into them and actually participate in them so that's why i think especially like a community like bloodborne i know for a fact like I just, well, I don't know for a fact, I don't time travel, but I really believe that Bloodborne will just have a, a community around it for like decades. Did you agree or what, what do you think? 
Precisely, and if I may bat back with some equally pretentious... Uh, no! <laughs> uh, in Carl yeah. Jung's The Red Book, he talks about yeah. how uh, the comparison between life and games is intrinsic, because mm. in proto-society, there was no difference between work and play. People right. would make games out of their necessary hunting and gathering. Absolutely. So I would argue that isn't a necessary part of our society anymore, and we turn to games for that outlet that primal yeah. aspect of we need to play yeah we've we've found a we've we've constructed a uh a new a new way to experience something essentially ancient you know and um i think that definitely accounts for how how fervently uh, people have embraced it and um, how universal it's become i i said this on a show recently you can help corroborate this with me but you know the it's something as little as the idea of you know on your phones we have everyone has almost everyone has smartphones the notification icon like getting notifications like am i wrong cameron that was a game thing right like video games pioneered that right that's actually very interesting. I would have to say that I agree. Yeah. But I've only agreed for the last 10 seconds that I was thinking about it. I know, so me that, too. That's, that's yeah. profound. I would say. I and like so then it. that just, yeah, exactly. And that would uh, that would sort of give you a, a very quick uh, example if you had to sort of make the case for games being intrinsic to, and as you said, ludonarrative, like like play being intrinsic to culture, you could say, well, here's, here's an immediate example. Take out your phone. And then that nonplus person at the bar would be like, what do you mean take out my phone? And then they would, and you would explain, see that little icon there? See these apps? See this thing of swiping between menus? Guess what? That's computer games and then video games. Everyone is a gamer now in some sense, you know, <laughs> even the most non-gamer person is on their phone, swiping between screens, looking at notifications, um wanting to yeah like click on the notification so it goes away that is gamified society so cameron i'm noticing we're taking a tangent it is a very awesome tangent but it is not secure <laughs> what do you reckon shall we dive back in absolutely this is all it's a it's on both of us but i have to hand it to you that was a very compelling way that you explain you know from jung that's that's fantastic and we're definitely jung definitely has a, a home on this podcast <laughs> I've noticed your uh, penchant for psychology, which I certainly mm. share. For sure, for sure. And JSF as well, we'll get him on the on the program. He's so good with the symbolism and Sinclair as well. Vati, uh, unparalleled fellow Aussie with his, um, I met him actually back in 2016 uh, at an event in Sydney. So um, to get him back on would be cool or uh, to, to chat with him again, be cool. And then who else um, from the community, just so we can tease the tease the folks who are tuning in being like, ooh, who else are we going to be able to hear from, you know, that uh, Cameron and Albert are going to be able to talk to? Who else would you like to uh, have on the show? Oh, I would love if you could nick the guys from Bonfire Site Chat. Me too. I love those guys so much. They are so kindred. They're so ridiculous. And um, like, they're funny, but all of that offsets and I believe parallels in this great way where you can tune into them because they are so academic and scholarly. They do have, they, but they'll throw in like a Tim and Eric slash Aquatine reference. And I'm like, you guys are like my spirit animals. I love them. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, there's another podcast that I listen to on the regular, but it's it's just in the rotation. I'm having trouble recalling the name. Uh, they've been guests multiple times on the Bonfire Side Chat podcast. Twin Humanities? Yes, precisely. Twin Humanities. We'll get those guys on there too, for sure. But we are, believe it or not, as well as in the sort of sort of intro stage, we're basically in the kind of um, 
pre-show going into the news stage. So what I will say to people here, right, as well as mentioning, you know, oh, let's get the show started and everything, it's time to tell you the structure of what we do here, right? So the structure is as follows. First, we're going to have obviously the news, the headlines are the most important, yeah. Then after that, we'll go into some rumors and speculation, if there's any. Um, after that, we'll dive into any analysis that we can do if um, Cameron has something for us. Nothing, no major trailers this week. Um, that'll change hopefully with the Game Awards for sure, because um, little hint, hint, little teaser, uh, Sekiro premiered at the Game Awards last year, so I wonder if Keeley had like a double deal. Cameron, what do you think? That he's like, hey, you can premiere, but you have to also promise to give us a nice meaty trailer next Game Awards. What do you think? Well, see, I think that they're just priming for when the game finally releases, they're going mm. to get all the rewards. So they're trying yes. to buddy up right there. That's true. Actually, that's a very valid point for sure. So after any analysis, we'll have theories. After that, we'll have an art showcase, which will be a live art showcase, which is Cameron and I are both going to jump on either Tumblr or, or Reddit. And we'll just call someone out and be like, yo, thank you for doing what you do. And if we're not feeling lazy, we'll send them a message and say that they were shouted out on the show. Should uh, give someone a nice little boost to see that people recognize their work and then share their work as well. Um, after that, we'll have a community little to sort of check on, see if uh, anyone's message to the Twitter, which you can. It'll be on the screen where I'm pointing now um hopefully in that direction left top left or top right is the twitter um inter artistry and then also instagram is interactive artistry all one word um so check in with the community there then cameron we'll do one each so we're going to declare someone on the sub you need to name someone on that incredible sub which is reddit.com forward slash r forward slash sekiro um just name someone who you'd like to nominate as fan of the week uh, someone who contributes to the sub so i'll leave that one to you okay excellent Awesome. And then I will nominate uh, the, the creator of the week. So someone who's putting out uh, either written or video material that is just really adding to the conversation and helping the wait be a little bit easier. So radio, that's quick cracking. Um, did you? Why not, my friend? Do you want to take that first news item there in the notes that we have? Very certainly. The green director and yes. the main creative force at FromSoft Miyazaki has received the Lifetime Achievement Award. It which has. Is incredibly exciting. He didn't look terribly excited at the presentation. <laughs> of course not. He He's Miyazaki. Stoic as always. <laughs> he can never Absolutely. give us any secrets whatsoever, no confirmations. Sorry, yeah. I'm venting a little bit. From that's fine <laughs> you're fine we can keep it composed as you say quote unquote pretentious i, I don't think we're pretentious but they i just please do you can be measured you can be cathartic do as you man do as you will man everything goes here uh but he does make reference to his years making games at from soft uh, starting yeah. off uh, on the smaller projects of course and working his way into creating uh dark souls and further and further on that's right. But as long as he's able, he says, which is the most interesting part here, he'll do his very best to make sure that he'll be, keep creating games of That's right. the same caliber and with his same style, which is exciting Absolutely. for me. That's true. Absolutely. So that is uh, over at um, uh, Kotaku.com. And as, as I always say with all of our news items, please do. It's just in the description. There's no real excuse if you're watching the video or if in your, you're in a podcast right now. You don't even have to pause the video because it'll keep playing. Just, just really quickly click on that link because Cameron... Kunzelman from Kotaku wrote this article for our benefit, so please just give them the page view. You can click out straight away. It takes five seconds. So, um, my my thoughts about this <laughs> this 
photo just not to be too just like on the surface about it but as as you said he just looks a little bit bemused and my i'm convinced that miyazaki always has like one one foot in the nightmare realm at all times so he can't ever just be too happy he just has to because he just can see all the kind of you know same as same as lovecraft he just sees all the kind of weird and twisted horrors around us that we can't see you know that's what i think precisely he has the tortured mind of an artist that very people can relate to tortured is the right word my friend for sure coolies all right well i'll read a few little bits here so hidetaka miyazaki awarded the lifetime achievement award yesterday at the 2018 golden joystick awards that took place in london known for his work on from software titles like the dark souls series and bloodborne miyazaki was presented with the award by game luminaries steve jackson and ian livingstone right quick little search let's see if mac helps us highlight and triple click steve jackson do you come up as anyone let's see if you're Steve Jackson, oh, he does. He gets his own Wikipedia triple-click article. Steve Jackson is an American game designer. He designed the role-playing game GURPS and the game card Munchkin. Okay, (laughs) did you know that? (laughs) I didn't know. Munchkin is a good game, though. Okay, cool. And then if I... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, nothing at all. I was just going to say that uh, he definitely has a eye for game design if he was able to create a game with that many moving parts. Mm, there you go. Yeah, no, definitely. And then the second presenter, Ian Livingstone, okay, CBE, right? Born 29th December 1949. He is an English fantasy author and an entrepreneur along with Steve Jackson. He's the co-founder of a series of role-playing game books, which this would actually be quite huge for Hidetaka to receive it from these two. Because, you know, from his early interviews we read for the Bloodborne um, era, he was... Uh, oh, Bloodborne Forever, by the way. But, like, yeah, he was saying that you know, he read... Um, you know, And Dark Souls as well, he would read the... Uh, uh you know dungeons and dragons and sort of the old game books right so to be given an award by these two like luminary people he probably even though you can't see it on his face because he has that that veneer of just miyazaki-ness like inside i'm sure there's like an excited child what do you think uh, cameron i agree entirely the Mm. uh incredible lengths that he goes to to incorporate classic literature into modern experiences and reinventing it completely so good fantastic that is one of my favorite aspects of this work i'm sorry but we need to take a moment to really acknowledge right that literacy okay the 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 literacy of the average uh consistent and non-dialogue skipping sekiro slash soulsborne player i i need to say this um you know, I've had so many moments where I've just paused and been like, I've never heard that word before. Conniptions. You know, I'd never heard that <laughs> before uh, Dark Souls 3. Gives me conniptions, you know. Um, and generally, as I have to echo you, uh, uh, Cameron, that this this opportunity, like Miyazaki as a writer, or at least a supervisor of the writers, sees these games as an opportunity. Hey, we're setting in in a sort of ye olde time. Why don't we? Why don't we sort of? And especially Ludleth. Who's your favorite in all of the Soulsborne series? The one that embodies this idea of elevating the script to to, to borderline Shakespearean kind of theater. What do you think? What's the character that jumps to mind for you? Uh, in the terms of theater, I would have to say Lady Maria's introduction and removal from the main stage of the game in only five minutes but once wow. you've familiarized yourself with her character the entirety of the doll's character is illuminated in a new light which is incredibly interesting mm. uh, and to parrot what you were saying about literacy uh and particularly conniptions father gascoigne uh, oh. his name is taken from a very very not well-known uh poet 
from oh. the same time period. He lived in the same time period as uh, Shakespeare. He That's wrote brilliant. A, he wrote a poem called A Lover's Lullaby. A Lover's which, Lullaby. Well, there you go. If you read to the tune of Gascoigne's Music Box, it works perfectly. You didn't just do that. Do, do you realize that it is four years almost to the month? No, actually, just four years from the release of Bloodborne and then obviously Dark Souls, you have all that. I had not learned that. Do you agree that we're basically finding new things about these games like all the time? Well, we know that Miyazaki won't tell us any of them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he said as much and um, I love that. He actually said it. He's um, It's funny. Um, I would say like, for example, as another reference, like someone like Adam Driver, right, has a completely serious face a, a lot of the time. So does Miyazaki. But there is underneath there a little bit, a little bit of a mischievous soul, you know, and he even in the Bloodborne Collector's Edition interview, he says, like, I love why would I rob people of the, the speculation? And he even said, I, I love going online and reading what people think, which I'm sorry, like in terms of likelihood, percentages of likelihood, it means he's on our subs, right? With the Bloodborne and Sekiro, he's doing, he's like, I don't know if he's putting that stuff through um, Google Translate or if he'll do that after the show, maybe uh, after the, you know, completion of development. What do you think the likelihood is, is uh, we have a Miyazaki um, sort of haunting the halls secretly of uh, reddit.com forward slash Sekiro, etc. I do personally believe that all of Reddit like at least half of their users are companies spying oh, yeah. on regular users. <laughs> People to find are pretty. Out uh... what we really want. <laughs> exactly. Have to agree. Would have to agree. All right. Tangent taking. I'm going to rein it in a bit. So this guy, Ian Livingston, uh, he is a CBE, which is Commander of Order of British Empire, and he is one of the co-founders of Games Workshop. Okay, and and we all know uh, Games Workshop to be, you know, obviously with the uh, Warhammer, all that insanely beautifully detailed, richly. Um, articulated fantastic use of the english language kind of a series right amazing so there's that lineage there um so yeah, let's continue miyazaki often credits the pair of fighting fantasy game books like sorcery with fueling his interest in games design while his speech was not incredibly emotional <laughs> nice one cameron you, you you called it um miyazaki was appreciative and quite willing to spread the honor among his colleagues collaborators and fans now cameron it also is a little bit of a japanese cultural thing to be a bit deferent and to a bit be a bit self-effacing and not say oh i don't deserve the credit you know it's it's from I, i've seen it pretty much across the board i've never seen like a, a conceited or arrogant or or praise soaking a japanese developer what do you think i think it's a bit cultural do you think i would have to agree all of the great uh main game developers that mm. you'll know their last names a lot of them start with m that's a weird coincidence i think it's yeah. conspiracy i know uh, i know shigeru miyamoto uh yes. hironobu makaguchi sorry <laughs> let's uh, sakaguchi from final fantasy never mind but i know what you mean uh, hideo uh yes as well mm -hmm. but it also has to do with the fact that all those people were brought up through the ranks in a very very like you mentioned structured uh environment yeah, yeah. they know what it's like to be on the ground floor they have to give credit to all those people that were building their games absolutely absolutely um really awesomely mr kotaku man i've mentioned his name earlier has done a lovely transcription which we will um read out here so i'll just uh, write his so he says i've transcribed um oh yeah while this speech was not emotional incredibly emotional miyazaki was appreciative and quite willing to spread the honor among his colleagues collaborators and fans i've transcribed the speech below but be aware that miyazaki delivered his speech in japanese so this is a transcription of what his translator said if you'd like to watch the actual acceptance speech etc etc i'll read um first paragraph you can take the next ones how's that just about balance out the airwaves 
Okay, perfect. All right, so this is Miyazaki. It's such a surprise and an honor to receive this prestigious Golden Joystick Award. I'm quite humbled. This award is not just my award. It goes out to everyone who has worked with me over the years making games, everyone who has shared this passion with me. And so I want to thank again everyone who has collaborated from, with From Software and everyone in From Software, our publishers. Thanks again for everything. Go. Uh, give me just a moment to find exactly where you are. That's okay. It starts with thank you to my family. Sorry, you might have to make a cut here because I've uh, lost. Don't worry that, about so. it, man. I always, I always um, uh, tighten things up with editing later. Do not worry about it, my friend. Uh, give me just one, uh, one pointer in the direction of uh, where you are. Okay, just type. If you go Control Find, thank you. You'll find it. Okay, on the Kotaku article. Yep. Okay, perfect. He goes on to say, Thank you to my family for all their support, and more than anything, thank you to the players, everyone that has played, enjoyed, and appreciated my games. Thanks to you, all the players, I have been able to carry on making games with one simple goal of making games that are interesting. I'm so glad to have been able to make games in these exciting times with all of you. Certainly showing his appreciation there to, to those that are constantly scrutinizing his body of yeah <laughs> that's right and i'll read the list uh, the, the rest uh, i plan to carry on making games as long as i'm able uh and I, I love also that he said that and also kojima says that regularly I, I dig that and i will do my very best to make sure that they're games that you will enjoy so thank you for your continued support in advance and coming up very soon we have sekiro shadows die twice which is due to be launched in march so you can look forward to that what a class act he's he's, he's a pretty mellow dude i reckon too easy. Um, and he just mentions um, here, what I appreciate so much about this speech is how much he leans into cooperation and collegiality. The pseudo-collaboration of his games and the root of those systems in a snowy hillside. Oh, do you know that story, my friend? Uh, which one um, about the, the, the snowy hillside story? I think we might have to jump into it. Oh, absolutely. That would be a good time. Okay, so I'll finish the article. So it seems to be simply a part of Miyazaki's personality, and that's a refreshing thing to see. In winning the Golden Joystick Award for Lifetime Achievement, Hidetaka Miyazaki joins previous awardees Sid Meier, Eiji Aonuma, Hideo Kojima, Satoru Iwata, and Ken Levine. That is six-star level developers that have received this award and keep in mind he's quite recent in his uh, in his works right so he's um 2011 you could say m most prominent of the games you know dark souls however 20 2009 obviously um demon souls um that's coming in on coming on, on 10 years and i don't know when miyazaki won his if it was at the 10 year mark but he's among some of the youngest uh to to have, to have been received this award so that's pretty awesome um cameron the story about the snowy hillside in case folks don't know and if you have heard it you can skip forward a little bit just a couple of things because i have to go over this with my pal um so uh person here in kotaku says well the pseudo cooperation side of his games was inspired by the snowy hillside incident which is the following so from eurogamer.net right um it links through from the article you can actually read it um essentially hidetaka miyazaki was um uh, caught in a snowstorm right and i'll just go control find snow to bring us straight to it Right, here we go. So the origin of the idea of collaboration for me was actually due to a personal experience where a car suddenly stopped on a hillside after some heavy snow and started to slip, says Miyazaki. The car followed me 
the, the car following me also got stuck and then the one behind it also uh, spontaneously bumped into me and uh, and started uh, bumped into it and started pushing it uh, pushing it up the hill that's it that's how everyone can get home then it was my turn and everyone started pushing my car up the hill and i managed to get home safely but i couldn't stop the car to say thanks to the people who gave me a shove i just have to get stuck again if i'd stopped on the way back home i wondered whether the last person in the line had made it home uh, he's a bit of an empath i like that uh, and I thought that I would probably never meet the people who had helped me. Um, I thought that maybe if we'd meet in another place, we'd become friends or maybe we'd just fight. <laughs> um, he finishes by saying, you could probably call it a connection of mutual assistance between transient people. Oddly, that incident will probably linger in my heart for a long time, simply because it's fleeting. I think it stays with you a lot longer, like the cherry blossoms we Japanese love so much. So that's Miyazaki. That seems to correlate with the... Uh larger emphasis on the lore significance of phantoms and demon souls that's absolutely right uh, mini pause i'm just gonna uh, turn the light on it's it's getting pretty dark here in australia One there we go so there's going to be a magical edit and people will see like the daylight is gone and now he has bedroom lighting there you go yes have to agree with you my friend there's a direct connection there so um yeah just in case uh you know cameron if you had known about it now you do this is the the snow the snow incident which is now quite infamous and you heard that word transient there you heard that word fleeting um he treats his lore in that way where things just like they they wisp away as though there's only a glimpse of it left like uh, some of the things we've seen in the um in Sekiro so um we're gonna mini pause in the middle of news because I didn't actually get your Sekiro story my friend so Cameron what did you think when you first saw Sekiro Shadows Die Twice from the first trailer uh, and also the um so from the first teaser and then to the first trailer from the first teaser I initially treated it as I would treat Bloodborne mm. saying it's going to be major plot twist so I'm going to try not to scrutinize every frame of this and then I immediately did that anyway because I couldn't help myself. <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. First gameplay that I saw, uh, I was thinking, okay, they've made it even faster. Mm. Uh, I'm glad that I am still a young man, so I can <laughs> appreciate these games without just absolutely decimating my nervous system trying to keep yes. up pace. Absolutely. Oh, it's it's very much like, and I thought, I suppose the collective thinking around the secular community is, and I thought Bloodborne was fast, and I thought Bloodborne required me to be more aggressive. Um, even though there is this interesting thing, it's like, I would, I would say carrying, so parrying is like aggressive defensiveness, you know, because from a parry, apparently you're able to yeah, whittle down the posture and everything. Um, what do you think of the posture system, uh, Cameron? The posture system, as far as we've seen it, I think that it will continue to be tweaked until release. Me too. Uh, as much as been confirmed in at least one interview, which I've read. Mm. And the concept of it, I very much so like. But it will completely depend on when we get our hands on it and how tight the timing is on those parries. Very good. And Again. how difficult it will be to turn the tides. Very true. Very succinctly put, man. I think... You know what this is going to do, actually? It's for the people like myself who have played Bloodborne predominantly from a parry-failing point of view. <laughs> so I've, I've always had this thing of wanting really desperately to feel that satisfaction of that, the visceral kills, you know? When I'm, uh, when I'm not just spending way too long on photo mode, I actually, surprise shock, do enjoy the combat. So good. Um, 
especially like for me bloodborne if i mean we could go really quickly and we could do a three two one what's your favorite Soulsborne game uh bloodborne yeah same here dude it's bloodborne all the way uh, but i will give a shout out to the art direction in particular of dark souls 3 because it did something which i thought was very very um um yeah like it didn't have to do it let's put it this way and miyazaki coming back which was to come up to come away from uh dark souls 2 which had this you know dark souls 2 is my least favorite not nothing against again some people really love it it's just the the idea that the art style just feels like it a little bit directionless like it's it sort of it has this sense of like throwing things at the wall right and miyazaki like he throws things at the wall but there's this there's a weird sense of consistency to it so um favorite design from any Sekiro boss enemy weapon environment go it would have to be the axe arm okay uh, the axe attachment for the arm simply because from all the still frames we've seen of people saying this animation feels so snappy you can see that woodwork mechanically which is wow. my favorite thing about the bloodborne weapons is that if you read the art book, they all have a description of how they work mechanically. And I feel like the all the attachments in Sekiro are going to be very similar in that they're going to have an in-game explanation. It's not going to be supernatural. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, we know that Bushi, who we'll be jumping on to later, by the way, he's the topic main discussion of the show. Um, there is a sense that he's not quite human and when you think not quite human think of Guillermo del Toro think of uh, Brian Froud think of someone who is a humanoid but there's something a bit off to him you immediately think magic you know even like Harry Potter style stuff so I've looked into some yokai and, and to see what he resembles we'll be looking into that too later in the episode there'll be timestamps so you can jump through all this but uh, my sense is that even though you say like it is visible mechanically there has to be something a little bit I think I believe magically infused to the um uh, to, to the prosthetic what do you reckon man like it, it seems do you think they'll they'll justify that in in uh, in universe the idea that these things can just sort of appear out of the arm without any sort of vis visual um you know consistency well i would like to answer that but i want to answer that prefacing it with i'm not sure whether i got this myself from watching uh the gameplay or whether yeah. i'm stealing this from the video Mm. <laughs> so I have to give credit where credit is due there, where uh, the creeping evil, which is hinted towards on the uh, Japanese Sekiro website, <laughs> will be supernatural in nature. Mm. So as the game progresses and it goes from I must save the young master to facing that greater evil, which is the direction most people are taking on the game. Yeah, the, the stuff that's that growing might, on the back of the monks' heads, you know, that, that corruption. Mm. That might play more so into our actual playstyles and combat and abilities. That's right. That's right. Gosh. Oh, and by the way, just shout out to you because I said favorite design in all of the games and like a holster. It came out of a holster. You were like this one design from Sekiro. My thinking was like uh, in terms of like just from the ones we've seen for me i mean and this is really strong because it is the first thing that came to mind cleric beast obviously came to mind corrupted monk looks phenomenal and that's probably my new pick for the for Sekiro. but uh of all the creatures the um you know vati spoke about it it's the uh the hound of irithil you know um the one that clutches its arms to its chest when it dies as though it's like praying you know it's just really embodies uh, miyazaki's sense that all like if you saw the uh you know the if if i saw of course you have the ign you know uh, interviews 
when they were talking uh, to the development team of Bloodborne about, you know, I think it was a designer who was saying, um, yeah, I brought this design to Miyazaki and he said, yeah, but where's like, where's the drama? Where's the soul? Where's the, um, what was the word that he used, Cameron? Do you know which one I'm thinking of? I cannot remember that. That's okay. Um, that's okay. It was something along the lines of I, I need to see like he in, in Miyazaki's boss designs and it is consistent across all Miyazaki design games, every boss, every environment, but I think the bosses probably showcase it the best as well as the enemies. There's a sense that there's a tragedy to them, you know? There's a there's a, there's a tragic and, and melancholic aspect. Even but there's a story there, I think, that that's the main thing is like why is why is this happening and why is like Volnir, for example, who's extremely strong design from three, you know, um, I just can you little let's mini hype moment, dude. We've only seen two of these um, bosses, basically, from Sekiro, the, the Kakuen ape, the mountain ape and uh, and the corrupted monk. It's a story focused game. There's going to be less multiplayer aspects, which definitely immediately means there's going to be more bosses and more impressive bosses. Like, what are you thinking, man? Where are you at with that? Well, as far as the difference between enemy design and, in particular, boss design, in none of the Souls series or Bloodborne, none of the bosses, and you might have noticed this as well, have good posture. They're either they, slumped that's right, slumped over. They're mm. bent backwards in pain and frustration. Very All good. All of the enemies that we've seen in Sekiro have either been visibly afraid were incredibly confident which i think will be interesting as far as their backstories go whether that's yes. misplaced or correct mm. and that sword we have a lot to talk about with that sword on on um still just basically the the the, the you know the one-armed wolf's back but we'll for, for ease of for ease of conversation we'll call the protagonist Sekiro because that's his nickname it's like um man with no name you know, he, he doesn't yes. have an official name, but it's just that's his name translated. So there you go. Okay, tangents taken in the middle of the news section. Let's go. I'll tighten this up. Listeners, everyone, people tuning in, I'll tighten this up as we go along. It's also just like Cameron and I, uh, literally, you're, you're sort of um, witnessing Cameron and I basically conversing for the first time. So, all right, I'll take this next one. So our next news item today is from Dual Shockers. Um, uh, link is in the description, so please make sure to give them a page view. Um, so it is, yeah, an interview with uh, the developers, Secure Shadows Die Twice, and you can go through. And it was pretty interesting. I had a little breeze through, but we'll cover a few um, a few of the paragraphs here. So this is from Giuseppe Nelva on October 25th. Um, and it's just, obviously, it's, uh, you know, last month's, you know, late last month's news. We're still pretty early in this month, even though, sorry, what are we talking? Dude, it's freaking November's going by so fast. Oh, my God. Um Yes, I know, right? So I'll read through. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is certainly one of the most anticipated games for next year, marking the return to a new IP for From Software and its enigmatic director, Kiritaka Miyazaki, this time under Activision's wide umbrella. In order to hear more about the upcoming game, DualShock has talked with From Software communication manager Yasuhiro Kitao, who provided us through an interpreter with quite a few details about the upcoming game and its inception. So I will ask you the question and you can reply, dude, if that's cool. Do you have the link up? Otherwise, I can read the whole thing. It's fine. Yes, I absolutely do. I will uh, play the part of Kitao. You can be Kitao. Okay. So Giuseppe says, so first of all, let me ask uh, ask you, how toned down was the difficulty in the demo? I'm guessing you guys didn't want to be too ruthless with journalists, and I certainly didn't expect to be able to one-shot the ogre simply by sneaking up on him. 
The final balance is still being tweaked, but this time we want people to experience using a variety of strategies to take on these enemies. So that's one example. Okay. One thing that I really enjoyed with the swordplay, and I think that's a radical departure from Dark Souls, um, you know, the swordplay, I, I feel that that parrying is much more relevant and spectacular. Is that a, an intentional approach? Yes, that's part of wanting to create that shinobi action role play. You have to balance both offense and defense. I'm happy that you felt that way, actually. This is a new element of combat for us and something that we're going to be shaping up going forward. Cool. So we're jumping outside of our roles now. Me back to Albert, you back to Cameron. Just to park the bus here a little bit, I need to talk about obviously this, what this means um, in terms of, I mean, we, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the differences yeah, with the pairing system and everything. For me, this is not just the new setting. A lot of people are like, well, the setting is really refreshing. That's great. I think this, this change in mechanic towards almost more Zelda-esque, like this, uh, this exploration aspect and this it feels like it's like you know Soulsborne with a dash of zelda i really love it what do you think of this idea of um uh you know circling around and and what it, from what you've seen in the demo cameron what do you reckon about the the different approach to swordplay and traversal for me uh like i said i went through gameplay frame by frame mm -hmm. uh, because i'm particular with a background in fighting games particularly the smash bros series awesome and you see that the parry doesn't activate on frame one. Either activates on frame two or three, which is mm. very similar to how a lot of fighting games work. They'll give you those couple of frames for animation because your reaction times are only 20 frames or so. But all the mm. slashes in the game are exactly that long. Every Incredible. Uh, basic enemy's slash animation is no more than half a second. So you have That's to have perfect immaculate response times or know their patterns which is back to the dark souls uh, standby you're never going to beat somebody on your first try yes which is something many people including like folks like brian altano from ign have described as like this weird magical moment and i definitely experienced that with bloodborne for the first time that game pushed back on me hard it was it was my first earnest i think i had maybe played under an hour of dark souls in the past i think i rented it at one point i have a vague memory of that but when i put in bloodborne drawn in as i was by just the, the art direction honestly it was it just blew me away played it i was actually again one hit to me was the the rpg element wasn't expecting that that sort of heavy sort of the stats and everything i was like what is this then the difficulty it hit me and then everyone like brian really encapsulated it best where he's like and after that stuff where i was literally just being just killed by the gruntest the lowest of low grunts you know and then like i think it was challenging for him and it was challenging for me and it's just this weird parallel to like real life i think a lot of people have talked about uh, dark souls and the Soulsborne games in relation to like weight loss like they've been like yeah like this thing that i had to pummel my way through where the earlier stages of it was super hard and then because i got good at it um because I, I spent time with it, the, the muscle memory kicked in and you're just doing this basically unconsciously now. So do you have an anecdote for us for that, Cameron, about a particular moment in a Souls game where that happened for you? For me, most of my muscle memory came from Bloodborne being the first game that I completed. Uh, but moving back through the Souls series and moving uh, chronologically, mm -hmm. I felt like in Dark Souls 2, I had to completely relearn the game due to the different engine that it ran on. Mm. And going through that was a new, new experience, I guess you could word it. Because I mm. felt like I had to completely unlearn all of my habits 
and it was painful. It was a painful experience the first maybe four hours. Yeah. And once it clicked in uh, probably around Broom, once it clicked, yeah. it clicked, and I was absolutely fine for the rest of the game. Killed but it. an enlightening experience to have that that yeah. moment. I've never felt something like that. You have to agree with you, my friend. All right, let's crack on. So I will reel. Mr. Kitao, another question for you. The prosthetics are somewhat reminiscent of Bloodborne, especially the axe felt a lot like the saw cleaver. Do you unlock new ones as you progress in the game? There's a variety of shinobi prosthetic tools, and you don't have to have them all unlocked from the start. In the demo, we're showing you only three of those tools. The ways that you unlock them vary. You may have to defeat certain enemies or explore the map. There are a number of ways that you can find them. Okay, we're so parking that, the bus again. Yeah, go for it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you got, I, I absolutely have to stop there because... Me too. That that opens so many doors. I that know. That could be special executions are necessary. Yeah, collection. You have to collect a certain number of things, find something. Well, some enemies, if you defeat them with a sneak attack or with a repost, mm -hmm. then you dismember them. <laughs> as their own prosthetic that i think that is definitely a way that they could interpret a shut up aspect. i hadn't thought of that like enemies that have the prosthetics and then that has a narrative implication which is to say that i believe really honestly like that that um arm doesn't look like it was crafted like like just like uh, from scratch I, I, I weirdly feel as though that there's a chance at least let's put me at under 30 percent but there is a chance that bushi is part of some society or whatever maybe he was once part of the ashina clan and he had his arm severed because he dishonored them in some way and now he's actively working against them and he used to be one of their like magical carpenter people uh that like gave certain ashina soldiers these uh magical prosthetics you could come across some of them and bushi bushi might be like yo um i made some of the foes you'll encounter they have some of my works that they use so beware and then if you if you if you defeat them you can take them yourself is there what do you reckon that's just me story riffing well everything in Miyazaki's work has had an influence on or has had influence from the fact that you are a person within this universe you aren't unique yes in anyone. yeah the chosen just... dead, but all undead are chosen you're that's right. the hunter but just the most recent hunter yeah, I love so, that sense. Humbling. I don't think that will be the only shinobi with these abilities. Amazing. There's a little tease there, audience, uh, from Cameron there. Let's crack on. So, um, can they be missed if you don't explore enough? Or an average player is going to find them all during... Uh, or is the average player going to find them all during a playthrough? This depends on the final design. It's not limited to prosthetic tools, but there can be really tough enemies that you're going to have trouble to beat. And you may want to go off the beaten path to find something that's going to help you to defeat them. After that, you can come back and challenge them again. This is going to be so good. I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Cameron. What do you reckon? What's coming into your mind's eye cinema when you think of something like that? It's March, you're playing it. What, what do you reckon? Give me a vignette of what you might experience. It's an action game, but it has our lovely, lovely branching paths that yes. we've been wanting from the series again. So good. And I I'm assuming areas locked behind bosses, which aren't mm. necessary, which unnecessary areas are everyone's favorite thing in the series. 
Yes, why not? <laughs> Amazing. I'm hoping personally for like a just a like there you go. Uh, this is yeah. As I, when I say mind's eye cinema, it's literally like what is what's what's to be lost. The, you lose nothing by literally just conjuring things. So I saw uh, Forty Seven Ronin not long ago, right? And um, during the Sekiro, sorry, during the Tengu video I had, I had some footage looping from that. I want a Tengu forest. I just need there to be something and something where you go where the Tengus are. Um, and I would love just a, a level which you can only traverse with your grappling hook. That it's, um, do you remember the old PS1 games? Um, actually, I don't know how young you are, but uh, I'm, I'm a fogey. I'm just a turn 30 a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, thanks, man. Uh, so back in the uh, PS1 days, uh, there was this thing which, um, you know, uh, Crash Bandicoot had it. You'll, you'll notice it actually a lot in the sort of Spyro games. And they they didn't render the bottom of levels <laughs> because they just, they, they wanted to create platforms, but they, they couldn't justify the geometry. Like it was it was too hard to do. So they just created void. It was just like, if you fell, you fell and you had to start again. Um, so what I would love to see personally, and I'm, I'm going to throw this to you after this, is uh, a level where it's just a quiet dark forest like almost naruto style where you there's only like really wide uh and sometimes pretty narrow branches that you need to run along and then grappling hook through like spider-man style and like fight people up in the air what do you reckon uh i think that would be thematically appropriate given his own history with the great hollow yeah that that feels very great hollow-esque but the whole world being suspended over a void is also very consistent with his own mythology and take on how you can construct a thought-based world. So that I'm not sure how that would play into this game's relation with the supernatural. True, true. I think um, uh, basically references made in the mythologies about the Tengu realm, like there's actually stuff. Not something from uh, from software that I've seen. Obviously, they haven't talked about it much, but I remember coming across it in my research for the um, for the Tengu video, and that was that there is a Tengu dimension essentially, and so that that's how I would imagine they would justify, you know, a little bit like. Have you played God of War, by the way? Yes. Okay, so Yggdrasil, you know, the realm where you're in that place where it's just void all around you. So just stuff like that comes to mind when I'm thinking of how when we inevitably inevitably get to that point in the narrative where, as we say, it's the uh, the, the rum the vacuous spider point where we just start going from feudal Japan into WTF, like what the fuck kind of um, Miyazaki, what you do, you know, <laughs> I reckon. The, that's the best part of his work, though, is trying it is. to wrap your mind around it i can't wait dude why isn't it march yet can you dude hurry up time you have that power why have you been hiding it from us cameron you have the power <laughs> I unfortunately have the power. you know time zones are a tricky tricky business we just uh, uh, started daylight savings time here so okay uh, hopefully i can master it by march okay yeah yeah just, just work on that will you i'm kidding coolies all right we'll crack on with this um also mini little uh you know aside within the aside is um castle of owls have you done anything with it read it looked into it at all no i have not okay i need to do that for the next episode for next week's um if you join are you fairly good to jump on next time next week for this one sure same time next week easy so yeah castle of owls i'll do some deep dives i know there's a film but uh it's because that old woman on the thread which we'll be actually talking about the next one is is about the um uh yeah we're gonna we're gonna look at all kinds of things but yeah that's i really want to talk about that um 
that archetype and uh dive into that because that's it's it's so evocative you know castle of owls and i i weirdly think that like Sekiro, the character, he doesn't look as though it's like he he had his arm severed and then he was a ninja. No, it, it looks like he's been a, a ninja of sorts for a while and that I believe he belongs to a clan and I believe that clan he belongs to is the clan of owls. And I think that woman may be a member of his clan. What do you think of that? That's just my theory. That, I actually really like that theory. Mm. Because, well, I don't want to jump into my theory too soon. I oh. was going to piggyback off of that. Because That's cool. they have a similar vein. Okay, you can but. do go for it. It's fine. We we can look back on these after release and just be like, hey, you know, go for it. Okay. Uh, the similarities between our main character and Bibushi are rather striking, particularly with how old they appear to be. Time travel. They appear to be very very similar ages, and there is a uh, very center. Uh, role on the Bushi's character is Buddhism. And in Buddhism, there is a practice which they call sky burial. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in Tibetan. Okay. Uh, where the body or part of the body is severed mm. to show a, like, a ceremoniously show that that body is over and the soul can move on. So wow. they appear to be the same age. But. Okay. One of them is obviously older. Yes. So that, that, that brings in the Buddhist idea of reincarnation. Hmm. That I, I'm very much so hoping that they're leaning towards, particularly hmm. having to do with dismemberment and then coming back after you die. With there you go. Being born immediately, in the case of our character. Hmm. I'm reading here, so Sky Burial Tibetan is, I'll try, it's Wili Bya Gitor, which is a bird scattered, is a funeral practice in which a human corpse is placed on a mountain tuft to decompose while exposed to the elements or to be eaten by scavenging animals, especially carrion birds. Um, but if you jumped into the article, you would see, yes, as you're saying, there's, you know, the uh, the severance of, of parts of the body, you know, um, but the majority of Tibetan people and many Mongols adhere to Vaj Vajrayana Buddhism which teaches that transmigration of spirits. There is no need to preserve the body as it is now an empty vessel. Birds may eat it or nature may cause it to decompose. The nature of the sky burial is simply to dispose of the remains in a generous way, in as generous a way as possible. Um, so then you have that element of Bushy being quite generous to be saving him. However, I need to throw it to you. Any possible ulterior motives to Bushy? Just immediate mind's eye cinema, mind's eye cinema first thing that comes to your mind. What is Bushy up to? German style, possibly. <laughs> uh, the fact that he is distributing the statues, or at least we assume that he's the one distributing the statues. It has to be. It has to be. You know, the sculptor's idols. Why has he already been all of these places that we are? Well, because. Have you finished God of War? <laughs> no, actually, I have not. I, I will not say a damn thing then. Okay, so, yeah. Oh, I, terrible, terrible tease. No, no, I'm not going to say a goddamn thing. But I love that idea. And in fact, you know, it makes me think of something like, for example, like Medieval back in the PS1 games. By the way, got a trailer a month or so ago with the uh, the, the remake that they're doing now. In that game, Medieval, you have this uh, character, Zarok, who goes around and you see the green trail, right? And so I love that idea of like a character we know that has something connected to, you know, like 
signs that that's where they've gone. It's it's a bit of an old school uh, 90s 90s style thing for me. It's like, oh, I think, uh, what else? I think that's the first one, that, that, that the only one that comes to mind. But the idea that you're following a character who has left things around for you in, in the world. Um, so Supernatural is a guarantee for me. He's either transforms into something or other. And um, I wonder, do you think we'll encounter him in various places like i don't think Sekiro will have a phylic shrine so to speak i think we'll just meet bushi um how okay how far are you into god of war because i'm I, I need to talk about some parts of this how far are you into it you can give as many spoilers as you would like no very very quickly yeah go. Uh, as far as uh miyazaki yeah and giving uh, a character that has been where you're going. Mm. Ari in uh, Dark Souls 3. Ah. If you didn't choose to kill him, you were following him the whole time. Great. He was more chosen than you were chosen as far as Unkindled go. Mm, that's amazing that's amazing very good very good all right i'll use my example it's not that much of a spoiler because it's just a mechanic but uh in god of war you encounter the dwarves you know which you've seen in the trailers probably and they are able to you know they're able to like move around the world you know they can appear you'll just be traversing and then you'll just find a hollow like a sort of sheltered nook with like a fireplace and then boom they'll appear but they have access to the the, the, essentially the dwarven dimension where they can flit around and just appear in different places around the world so I believe Bushi may have something like that where we'll encounter him he won't just be in this one hut that we'll keep returning to um i think we'll we'll encounter him in little hollows and stuff around the world like sheltered from the rain like moss moss enshrouded little caves behind waterfalls what do you reckon is there a chance of that that would fall very much so in line with uh again our main theme of him being the wise old man archetype in the rebellion sense insane and in, in absolutely and then also the archetype with jung as well talking we'll talk about that soon finish up this interview then we'll crack on because we're already at an hour my goodness i i knew i somehow knew this was going to happen i don't want to cut too much i really respect your time man so how far ahead are you able to go we can also cap things off where are you at are you tired are you good to go uh, I drank a coffee before we started, so I'm good for this guy. My man, my man. Okay, the level design appears to be quite open, and you're. Oh, is that the one we're up to? Oh yeah, yeah. The, you talked about the one. Yeah, come back and challenge them again. Yep. Yeah. The level design appears to be quite open, and you're often almost encouraged to skip certain ele- uh, certain enemies instead of finding them. Is that also a part of the concept of the game, allowing players to avoid enemies instead of con- confronting them? Creating these wider areas and passages is part of the shinobi roleplay and of creating various methods and approaches that you can use. With that being said, you may not want to skip too many enemies because defeating a tough mid-boss might give you something that could help you progress later in the game. I'm going to just skip enemies all the time uh, and then just realize all too late that I'll be like, oh, well, I just literally got all, all seven of my asses handed to me because he d- diced them up and created more after I freaking didn't like train or, or grind or anything. Um, I think that's going to happen for me in Sekiro. What's your playstyle, man? Do you just like uh, take enemy after enemy or do you uh, usually run forward until you hit that wall? Uh, I will go very very meticulously because i like to pick up everything on my first run and then once i reach the boss that'll be boss run sound good sounds good so i'm guessing a full length a full stealth playthrough of the game isn't possible right 
Of course you'll still need to defeat the bosses. We don't know if a full stealth approach will be possible just yet, but much like Dark Souls speedrun scene, there are definitely some speedrun elements in there that I think fans are going to enjoy. He just, you don't know what, he doesn't know what he just did to the community. <laughs> There's the freaking speedrunners in this month, months ahead of time, already starting to rev their freaking speedrun engines, being like, oh my god, Katao actually talked about us and there's like they he knows that we're gonna complete like they're gonna finish this game in like 20 minutes it's crazy ah amazing what do you think of speedrunning my friend i enjoy watching speedruns uh mm. as a matter of fact uh hey zeus here's toast did a absolutely fantastic awesome games done quick speedrun of bloodborne mm. in which he gives the most concise description of lore within an hour and 30 minutes that i've ever heard a lore speedrun Oh my god. Can you yes, send that to me is. later? I absolutely can. Thank you. That sounds amazing. Fantastic. Oh, and yeah, if you send it to me, I'll put it in the show notes for audiences who are like, they, I can just imagine them in the sort of mind's eye. They're like if in the in the you know audience pit just being like, looking really affronted at me like how why wouldn't you share that with us so yeah thank you i will i'll put that in the links my friend so all right next item we have here is uh yeah what, what was the inspiration behind the game i think there's a lot of tenchu in sekiro when we decided to create a game set in japan with the shinobi as a motif we think about tenchu and that was the initial impetus for the game yet in time it gradually evolved and changed in various ways it became simply a shinobi game set in Japan that From Software and Miyazaki-san wanted to create right now. That's what you see here. I'd still get a new. I'd still like a new Tenchu at some point. Oh my god! I'm getting over it. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like he does very well with good new ideas. Yeah. Oh no, that's me answering. That, that's me asking you the question as uh, Giuseppe or whatever his name is. You have to answer as Kitao. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i don't you want know, any tension only this guy wants it <laughs> my uh my multiple personalities uh glitched yeah. a little bit there that's fine you're that all good is a very oh we feel that tenchu is a very interesting series now you can do different voices if you want you're fine go for it dude <laughs> uh with its own quirks and personality that that's very true uh we think that we are simply if we were simply to create another tenchu it would feel like an imitation of past games so we thought that what we wanted to do this time, and if we wanted to make Tenchu or not, and the answer was simply that we wanted to do a cool Shinobi game. That's very, very diplomatically handled, Kitao. Radio. Uh, we have a few more questions here. We'll, we'll wrap it up just for OCD's sake, because you and I are both like completionists. So there we go. Why Sekiro instead of another Dark Souls, Mr. Kitao? We can't say for sure about the future and how a Souls-like title would look. As far as this is concerned, we wanted to set out and create something different. The Dark Souls series is finished, and we want to challenge a brand new IP and brand new experience. Oh, I, I, I did you sense? And we talked about psychology before. Give me your interpretation of the subtext of what he just said. Like I have my 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 very like condensed is like yeah, thanks but no thanks kind of thing. What do, what do you think uh, Kitao is saying here subtextually? Well, he says that it's finished. Yeah, it's finished. But uh, ah, no, I know. I, come on, PS Five, Dark Souls. Are you, are you, dude? In freaking twenty twenty, someone is going to back a dump truck of money to Miyazaki's house. 
okay, and say, we he, he, here is a PS5 dev kit. We need you to do Dark Souls 4. And we're going to we're going to fund the next five of your independent games, the next five Deracines. OK. All right. And then he's going to be like, actually, there is one more crazy warped version of a medieval knight that I think I could scrap up. What do you think? <laughs> well, the quote unquote uh, final love song with the Ring City mm. felt like I'm going to give you something that's incredibly difficult. Yeah. But he's proven that even though he went away from the Soul series, he could make an entry level uh, entry, like uh, yeah. Dark Souls three. Dark, you can pick up Dark Souls three, and that can be your first Souls game. So I Absolutely. don't think that's done, at least mechanically. Mechanically, he can go back to it. Oh yeah, mechanically, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure whether he'll be willing to, mm. no matter how much I want him to. It will. Um, it won't really impact because we're going to have the. Uh, as you've probably noticed with the Instagram, if you've been there, I riff with you actually. I message you on Instagram, so you know the posts of the uh, podcast that I'm doing. You know, um, the network broadening, broadening, in, broadening it, and we are going to have the Dark Souls podcast, and that will be something as we mentioned with Bloodborne, and there is going to obviously Bloodborne podcast. We talked. To, I announced the Bloodborne stories, which if you're listening and you would want to jump on the show as Cameron has here and just basically share your Bloodborne story, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start collecting these, and they're going to be called our Bloodborne stories. So, um, so basically, but as I mentioned with those with those properties, literally, if we never got anything, we obviously have Alec um, uh, Cots, Alice Cots. Um, uh, he does the, the the comic right the 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 healing thirst. So get to speak. It will be great to get to speak to him as well at some point. But I'm happy if Bloodborne never gets revisited or Dark Souls never gets revisited. There is enough really truly to just discuss this stuff within different spheres. In like always making new discoveries. There's so many influences to dive into as well tangentially. And as you just dropped on me, you know the knowledge about Gascoigne. I didn't know that. All of this, you know, development across the across the process of development there's this man sitting down with a pile of books right that he's he's going to put as much as he like he's a very like he he you can tell that he pours a lot of his research into his games and what's to say that we won't be still looking and finding and picking up on little motifs about this material years to come so personally i'm fine if there's no dark souls and no bloodborne sequel do you feel the same way cameron uh i feel that at least with Bloodborne, because the concept is so interesting, he might pull a slave in Utero. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yeah. He's a Korean uh, artist where he'll create one intellectual property and think the idea is good, but I can do a completely different story. So I think he might do something else with that particular flavor of supernatural elements, mm. but not take it in a Lovecraftian angle, mm. which I think. I, I think so too I think so too but regardless just because of the way that he makes games his works are perfect candidates for interactive artistry podcast coverage you know what I mean and uh, and building these chronicles as, as we're going to start doing so also if you know folks um, anyone and this is addressing you Cameron as well anyone who would want to jump on and like as you've mentioned you talked about bonfireside chant they went through they talked about a lot of mechanics they they paused they went on little surreal tangents it's always it's evergreen like when you infuse this sense of uh liminality the sense that you haven't quite glimpsed at all in his stories the way miyazaki does you can just we can go through those those i almost said books actually <laughs> you can go through those um those games over and over uh, like 
from level one to the end to, to roll credits on each of those three chapters and bloodborne and demon souls over and over really in a really rewarding way where it's not just like you know squinting for for more details you'll always notice something new and there's always more discussions to be had so uh cameron if you know anyone personally yourself listener audience member i'll address you now if you know anyone who would want to jump on and has this kind of level of what cameron and i are doing with secular if you want to jump on and and uh, host that that show within interactive artistry like will be just this one big family of like digital chroniclers and analysts and and symbolism seekers so figured i'd mention that why not no better place to put it so what do you reckon man do you have anyone in mind uh, cameron um for something like that for hosting something like that i absolutely do uh, i would okay. have to ask them if they'd be interested but cool. they have some fantastic stories which are not mine to tell okay Sounds good. We got a bit of a teaser there, folks. So let us crack on. We'll 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 rev the speed up double double speed so we can keep this under the two hours. So I'll ask you the last question here. A very popular analyst, Michael Pachter, said that the games that games set in Japan don't have a broad appeal in the West. What do you think about that? It's really very simple. Just make the games that we think will be interesting to us, and that will appeal to people that loves game that love games. If we're not trying to appeal to a certain group to make something that's popular we just think wouldn't be cool if that's right so we're not trying to appeal to a certain group of people to make something that's popular we just think would it be cool if which is this very pure place to create from which is not um not uh, you know shunning or uh, dismissing the audience that's you know the piece will be intended for but it is to a point not letting them influence it because then you're just making from a self-conscious place and the products of self-consciousness uh you know when you're doing something creative it, it tends to be like diluted and uh, unsure of itself so i love that they were like we don't care we don't care literally that there are there is ghost of tsushima there's neo 2 they just they are in their sphere now and honestly and this is not we're gonna have ghost of tsushima podcast we've already i've already put that out there and yeah hosts for that as well get in touch um so they don't they don't care and and honestly cameron are you worried like this is miyazaki's feudal japan that we're talking about it's gonna be so fucking twisted <laughs> it's gonna be so unrecognizable from anything we've seen before so the idea that it's like a roach genre or an overdone genre uh or not compelling in western audiences like i don't think there's any validity to that what do you think uh, cameron uh the first thing that i think of is the uh milkweed runes moveset in bloodborne okay now, character who is usually rigid in military form becomes very fluid yeah i feel like this game's combat so far has been incredibly rigid very uh shinobi movie-esque with this yeah. and such. but he can always throw in that extra element and say no this is my property i will yeah. create anything that i see fit in it so i'm incredibly excited to see what he pulls out for us I mean, I see, like, again, another Mind's Eye Cinema for you. The, he's going, like, like Sekiro is going to be in some, let's say, mountainous, craggy village. And, yeah, there's going to be the Kakuan ape there. And who knows if that's a mini boss or an actual boss. But what if there's, like, some freaking, I don't know, like a turtle with an old woman's face that's, like, got, like, gigantic arms that, like, end in, like, pincers? Who, do you understand? Like, this is by far and away. And we have, we have the, the, the as I call it, the centipede tease, the omukade, you know? Um there's going to be like centipedes with human faces. There's going to, it's so going to be so fucking twisted. Um, and that's refreshing. Like, I think Neo really, what did you think of Neo? Let's, we, we can't not discuss that, obviously. What did you think, buddy? I liked Neo. I liked Neo. I didn't love Neo, if I'm going to okay. be completely honest. 
Understood. Uh, I felt that there was too much repetition in stages, and the fact that it was stages removed mm -hmm. one of the my most favorite elements from this whole series is the cohesiveness of the mm. world, not only in scope and in theme, uh, and sometimes in color palette. We won't talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, within actual spatial relation. Yeah. For me, the first thing for me that I experienced with Neo was, uh, and this might be a bit nitpicky, and I hope it doesn't come across as that, because it's just a tactility thing, right? So I, um, it's the idea that like someone hands you an orange and you take a bite. Uh, or oh, sorry, someone hands you an apple and take a bite. And it was like, whoa, this is just an orange that's been painted like an apple. And you, you just have that disconnect moment of, of dissonance of like, whoa. So this thing looked like a Souls game for me. I'm I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I know about Souls and I know the feeling of playing Bloodborne. And then I, I looked at Neo and it was just like, it came in this package where you where you thought something and there's a verisimilitude, something so close, but because it, there is, it, there's that disconnect and the disconnect, disconnect for me with Neo came from the animations. They're way too quick. Like they're way too buttery fast, like slickety flick slick, you know? There's no, as you said, uh, when you were studying the frames, there's no like drama. There's no like sense of, you know, grandiosity or, or, or idios idiosyncrasy to the, to the animations um, with, with, with Neo. Um, and, as as like probably basic as that is it it signaled to me that that like it basically became a um sort of a symbol really and like a, a microcosm of how they approach that game which was more from just making this combat like slick 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 and then just essentially nothing else really grabbed me about it so but i'm, I'm glad you liked it you know to, to each their own honestly and i'm not taking away anyone's uh, joy of, of neo like seriously to each their own so yeah it got me through uh I've beaten all the Souls games. Mm. Something to uh, cr scratch that itch for a little bit. For sure. For sure. Last question. What do you think is the element that will hit Dark Souls veterans in the face most brutally, right? Approaching Sekiro. I have been a big Dark Souls and From Software fan since before I joined the company. And when I first played Sekiro, I had a very tough time. This game includes some very conscious katana moves and we think that's going to switch things up a bit for some people. Awesome. Fantastic. Did you... Oh, yeah, actually, was there more? Uh, oh, no, there there wasn't. is one. There is one, one more, more question. question. Yep. Did you employ actual Kenjutsu or Kendo advisors in order to keep uh, to help you with designing the swordplay? Of course, there are members of the staff who are familiar with Kendo and practice it on their own. Uh, we do a certain amount of research in order to give the game a grounded feel but we don't want to put real moves into the game as they are. We want to reimagine them in ways that are actually cool. <laughs> oh my god, throwing shade. <laughs> you want to reimagine re them in ways that are actually cool. It's like, dude. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Uh, hopefully that's what you can see here. Uh, we're definitely not bringing a kendo master telling us exactly this is right, this is wrong. Definitely. I'm so glad they're doing that. Imagine if they got like an actual Kakuen ape from mythology to put on the motion capture gear and be like, no, I'm kidding. That's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. All right, cool. So that is that one there. Um, we need to we need to trot along, my friend. But exactly. That's fairly self-explanatory. I wasn't expecting them to. They're, they're like the, the keys of keyframed key animation to me. I love love that they keep that alive. You know, so many people going towards um, dude. Cameron, how weird would Bloodborne be if there was any kind of motion capture? That would be weird. You would feel PS2 oh. as fuck. PS2 as fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. 
That's nuts. All right, so let's go to the next and uh, penultimate uh, news item. I'll, I'll, I'll actually, I'll throw it to you. Go for it. Are you back at the notes? Uh, yes, we are on Telegraph UK. Yep, go All for right. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this article is pointing out the delicate balance that they've taken between the admittedly incredibly over-the-top amount of violence and blood splatter that we see and the beautiful timing-based combat that is described as a ballet by the writer here by the name of Tom Higgins. He's right. read this article completely detailing how the delicate uh, slicing as he puts it, the quick, delicate slicing, small sliver of health of all his opponents and himself, that uh, teetering scale of the posture meter. Mm. Uh, just absolutely wonderful description of how it feels to watch the gameplay as someone who hasn't gotten to play the game yet. Uh, mm. I felt that I was very eloquent on his part. Absolutely, definitely. And I also appreciate how he basically phrased it as a brilliant and brutal ballet. So Tom Hoggins here. Um, I'll just read the first paragraph. If there was any doubt that Dark Souls developer from software, famed for making some of the hardest games ever, might start to take it easy on its players, it was swept away in the first brilliant and brutal slice of gameplay of Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. I saw the Japanese kanji for death, or she, enough times in my playthrough for it to sear into my mind. But each blood red symbol also served as a lesson. Be smart. Be cautious, be better. My first schooling comes at the hands of a samurai general standing guard on the steps of the castle my ninja is seeking to infiltrate. I had already dispatched a couple of grunts and one descended upon me silently from above. Uh, one, one descended upon silently from above and ended, ended quickly in a shower of crimson. The other brought to his knees with a few swings of my katana before the final blow. But the general is different. He is stronger and not easily swayed, able to thump me off balance and sap my health with a flurry of his longsword. So he goes over his entire description. You need to go over, folks. Um, it's in the description of the YouTube video, also the podcast. Got to give him that view. Beautiful. And then also your opinion personally, Cameron, this screenshot here in the article at the Telegraph, I can't even because why honestly why is that not the collector's edition statue you know like look at the dynamic <laughs> pose there wouldn't that be amazing on your um shelf it would absolutely mm. uh the the interesting thing about that is that's going to be a regular occurrence you're going to get to see that level of action and interactivity between all of the sword play in this game which is what mm. I'm excited about. That's why I'm getting from this this picture yeah, right here. Me too. And it also reminds me of some of the uh, the paintings that um, in, in you know the Tengu and um, Kappa videos I did. I sort of dived into this uh, you know period of, of paintings in the seven. It was no, it was 1600s, 1500s. You know when they were romanticizing uh, the the, old, the older kind of tales and the tales of Japanese mythology. And this particular like it, it seems as though they've made this game. With a, with a great love for the dyna dynamic poses in those actual like wood carvings and such. Um, it kind of puts me in mind of that. Does, does it do the same for you, Cameron? Absolutely. This game's, uh, particularly its use of colors, reminds mm. me very much of those tapestry artworks that you're referring to. Absolutely, for sure. All right, let's dive in um, to the next and last news item here. When my Reddit decides not to have a little holiday. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be going through and tightening all of this up, man. So it's all good. You can even just say something completely random, like anything something you like right now. 
Yes, the words, something completely random. Radio, last news item is from Reddit. Link in the description. Definitely go and visit the page itself. Miyazaki speaking on screen for the first time since 2014. I have not tried to go on this on desktop, and I believe the video may have been taken down. Um, so, yeah, if folks don't know, uh, Miyazaki appeared on stage to debut Bloodborne in 2014. Has not had a video interview since... And I don't think he's even had a video interview. You know, we, we only see him on stage. Uh, we don't see like a, an interview in person layered with him. Dave Control, who will get on the show at some point, obviously, hopefully as well, um, spoke with him in person, I believe. Um, and uh, and but no cameras, always with this guy. So right now, can you hear that? By the way, you can. Amazing. It means my um, means my thing is working. So you can hear sword clashings behind you? Correct. This is great. My setup is working. Okay, I'll try and glimpse the man like a rare Pokemon. Here we go. Where are you, Miyazaki? In this dark crowd. Oh, he's speaking on stage. Oh, so we still don't see him, do we? Have you seen this footage, Cameron? Yes, yes, I have. Oh, there it is. There, you sneaky little... Ah, Command Shift 3. I just... Guys, gals, everyone listening, I just screen captured <laughs> Hidetaka Miyazaki in the year Anno Domini 2018. He's real, and I'm going to actually save this offline because I'm a paranoid. <laughs> you know that series? Um, what is it? Uh, Revolution? Is that where J.J. Abrams imagines everything to like short out and the whole internet crashes? Yeah, yeah. So I'm that guy. <laughs> I like to save things offline. going to print yeah. It's going to be out of Jensen. It's going to be off color, but that's going to be the only physical evidence of his existence ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be circled with like, with like red red uh, threads all around in like a room. There you go. Oh, an error has occurred. Please try. It. Ah, see, when Albert encounters an error has occurred, please convert again. Guess what I do, Cameron? I just find another converter. Okay, that's all I do. Precisely. Yeah, YouTube. YouTube MP4.to. There you go. Um, Cameron, what are your thoughts on uh, Miyazaki being, you know, glimpsed on stage? And in general, this idea of the enigmatic creator, which I'm sure he, he pushes that away. He's like, what is this thing about enigmatic? I just like he likes just like Sean Murray from No Man's Sky. He's just like, hey, it's just my style to be behind the scenes. You know, do you have any qualms with that being he, he is the president? You know, so visibility is part of the job. But uh, what do you think of his approach to basically being, yeah, naturally as a facet of himself, you know, a bit of an introvert, but uh, uh, reclusive? Well, it has, it's deeply entrenched within like, auteur fallacy we credit games to Miyazaki's genius and uh, just in that interview that we were just reading they were constantly saying we as in the entirety of the development team and yeah. games credit the entirety of the development team mm -hmm. he views himself as one of the cogs working there he is the creative engine and uh, you know I can't fault him too much for that I wish that he would be more public but yeah. that's, that's his personality and that's how he has chosen to uh, totally fine i'm a bit of an introvert myself how about you man i am a massive extrovert oh really you don't get that vibe you have a very grounded tone you don't have this like hey how you doing i'm an extrovert like you seem like a you're like, like an ambivert almost uh you know uh i would like to fancy myself normal uh, but mm. i have a complete reliance on other people for the happiness of my life which, you know, 
Oh, dude, that's self-knowledge, man. For me, you're already good in my books. And I, it's not like only introverts, introverts only like hanging out with introverts. For me, it's like as long as you like own yourself and know where you're at and, and have that mindfulness, I'm, I'm cool to hang with ever as long as they have that mindfulness. And you're the most self-aware extrovert I've ever met. So, Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, uh, dude. For I, <laughs> telling you that I'm self-aware in the era of my ways. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You, you live, you live in your life, dude. It's cool. Um, so yeah, I think this. Yeah, like it's literally to each their own, and it's like the creative process is is by definition separate from uh, uh, someone's kind of personal vibe of being. So yeah, I'm totally cool with that from him. So okay, radio, righty. Oh, let's crack on to our next segment, and that would be. Analysis, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is that correct? There we go, analysis. Right, so we're going to be looking at Sekiro's Instagram and doing some extrapolation. Dude, it is almost an hour and 30. We'll have to wait for the next one. It's always good to have leftover things, so we'll leave off the Instagram troll through for the next episode. Uh, and it's good to say that you've got to know, rather, that you'll, uh, you'll be back on the show next week. Absolutely. Terrific. Okay, so main discussion. Bushi. Can't have him in the thumbnail without having our main discussion around him. And it won't be too extensive obviously we've we've gone into the the hour and a half and i know you're i'm a massive empath right as well so like i'm going to be aware that even if you've had coffee i don't want to keep you like you have your own schedule and everything so you at any point let me know and we will uh, tie this one off okay uh cameron absolutely i will but i'm going to warn you i will not do it because i, I oh he's yeah, killing I'm, it I'm, oh. I'm, it's my three it's I'm, my kind of host dude i'm i'm low-key yeah yeah so Exactly. All right. My, and myself as well. At your service, Mr. Cameron. All right. So we're going to be looking at Sekiro's um, enigmatic, strange, mysterious uh, old man character, the, the wise old man, um, Bushi, examining the archetype of the old man of the woods in various cultures to see if we can glean anything that may end up being incorporated into Bushi's character. And regardless of whether it is or not uh, intentional, you know, um, we'll have some fun uh, along the way, educating ourselves about this material and discovering new insights, uh, which we wouldn't have learned otherwise along the way. Um, so I'll start with the first source. Uh, our first source for today's discussion is appropriately the Wikipedia article on this archetype, which is the wise old man. Now, you actually, I, I will throw it to you. You can obviously read through the article as you may, my friend. But uh, I recall you earlier discussing the wise old man and Jung and uh, symbolism. Um, did you have uh, any opening riffs for us to sort of launch off on from? Uh, yes, the uh, progression of the understanding of that archetype has gone from Jungian shared psychology throughout uh, all of humankind having to mm. do with the uh, mythological archetype of the old wise old man or wizard mm. uh, sometimes having to do with uh, their place as a shaman type figure mm. or someone who has seen all that the world has to offer already and is right. passing on knowledge uh, but particularly in the Campbellian take uh, you know the hero's journey and such it's a jumping off point once the main character or whatever your driving force in life is going to be. In this case, it would be Sekiro, the lone, the lone wolf. Uh, once he has mourned or decided to embark on this tough journey against the Ashina clan, he would need this wise sage to help guide him the proper course to take through that, which I mm. think is very nice parallel that they have there. Very good. 
Definitely agree with you there. So I'll read a little bit here from some paragraphs. So the type, this type of character is typically represented as a kind as a kind and wise older father type figure who uses personal knowledge of people and the world to help tell stories and offer guidance that in a mystical way may impress upon his audience a sense of who they are and who they might become, thereby acting as a mentor. He may occasionally appear as an absent-minded professor, appear, appearing absent-minded due to a predilection for contemplative pursuits. The wise old man is often seen to be in some way foreign, that is, from a different culture, nation, or occasionally even a different time from those he advises. So this is the point. This is what we like to do. We go through whenever we have a moment of just need to pause. And I just had a flash of something that's kind of interactive artistry's deal. Pause the bus for a sec. I see two things here, Cameron, uh, from a different culture or nation and from a different time. Now, we alluded earlier to the idea. I don't know if you were directly saying it explicitly that Bushi could possibly be speaking of a, diff a different time, could be Sekiro himself. Do you think that there's any chance of that? Well, the entire main uh gimmicky mechanic uh that's dismissive the thematic <laughs> mechanic of being able to come back after death uh speaks True. to either a theme of reincarnation or the splitting of the soul which i True. think can play very much so into uh bushy and sekiro's similar characteristics i can dig that too i personally think i like to give percentages just to sort of, because I can maybe mentally stamp them, for, for Bushi to actually be Sekiro in some timeline kind of stuff there, like related, as you say, to the Shadows Die Twice mechanic, uh, I'm going to put it just under 40%, so the upper 30s of, of that happening, which is not, not dismissible. Um, my main hints for that is the hair color. It is the obviously missing arm. Um, is the missing arm correct? He's got his, le his left arm missing. And I believe your left arm is missing as well uh, on the character. Is that correct? Yes. And the uh, Buddha statue's left arms are missing. There you go. Right. So there's something there. There's something there. And then we also have the idea that he would have in some way known where he would have gone and known where to place the statues because he himself placed them there. There could be some crazy timey, uh, whimey stuff happening with with Sekiro. Where how would like what is that? How do we explain that? That's obviously lovely within a uh, uh, you know a video game uh, context of like oh the the mentor has made these statues which you can pray to and then save your progress to. They're mysteriously all around the world at exactly where they need to be. And what if the great meta way of explaining that is because you yourself have gone through that that trial already everything you're doing right now you've done already and you knew exactly where to place it like basically prisoner of azkaban style so do you think that would that be compelling for you or would that be a cop-out or would if done well um that would that prove uh, interesting for you cameron um it's interesting that you uh reference doctor who there yeah because with uh someone being able to come back after death he might have uh jenna coleman himself and gone back through time to uh, correct whatever mm. mistakes he made to become a old man simply carving statues. Mm. So I, I quite like that theory. I think that could definitely work. Cool. Would you give me a percentage? I like to. Yeah, it's a, don't have to do it, but what do you reckon? Am I where am I where am I at in Cameron's kind of house of predictions and ledger of percentages of likelihoods of things happening? <laughs> I would give you 36.2%. Damn, son. I thought I was going to be no higher than 35. Uh, you know, I, I like to give the extra 1.2% in everything that I do. For effort? Because I had good handwriting, Professor? I haven't seen Thank your you. writing. I have seen your hair, though. 
Thank you, thank you so much. I've seen your hair too. Very good. Mutual Hair Admiration Society. The wise, <laughs> the, the wise old man. Okay, uh, so we talked about times. Do you think there's a chance of Bushy? Here's the thing, though. I want to say this. Like, with Miyazaki's characters, they never outright look, obviously, you know, from... Uh, from Bloodborne and um and, and they don't they look basically Anglo-Saxon I would say you know uh, they have they have some sort of face tapering which is pretty similar typical to uh, anime but uh, Bushi's um uh physical like a uh, facial construction uh do you do you believe there's any chance that he could be like from another culture from from somewhere else do you th- or, or do you think the implicit thing with the design is that he's Japanese could he be like well, Swedish or something or um, from the Netherlands there are a large amount of uh, Dutch ancestry proportions yeah. within uh, Japan due to trade missions and people staying there. So Dejima. I would say that's impossible. Mm, there you go. I see. I see. If I remember, I'm, I'll, I'll bring up a picture of him actually, and I'll have it on the screen for folks who are watching on YouTube now, so that it'll be panning over as I speak. But yeah, so Bushi. And um, do you remember by any chance uh, Avati's um, translation of his name, uh, Hermit? You know. Yeah, so Bushi, actually, if you look it up, it is a Japanese sculptor specializing in Buddha statues. There you go. That is Wikipedia. I am not making this up. <laughs> right there. So list of Bushi. You can actually look them up. There's Enku, Kaikei, Kokei, Jocho, Jokei, Tankei. It sounds like I'm saying a very long password. Tori Bushi and Unkei. So that's fantastic. I might even look up some of these folks later and sh- showcase some of their work. But yeah, I bring him up and this is what comes up. So, Sekiro. Let's look, have a look at you. Let's have a look at this guy. I was going to what comment a- earlier on you uh, citing uh, Wikipedia as your source. If I was your professor, I would absolutely say you, you cannot cite Wikipedia as your source. Oh, but then this it's is like you are the you're yeah. the judge for your own favor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, the, what it is is uh, Wikipedia is just like the, the shallow pool. Literally, like it's there's nothing reliable there, so it's like very safe waters. You don't really take it that seriously. It's a launching off point. Then you dive in, you go hyperlinking, then boom, you go into references which are usually more reliable. So it all depends on uh, how in depth we go. So um, to look at him, I would say his nose in particular gives me the vibe of of someone who could possibly be like from Gascoigne's neck of the woods, so to speak. You know, like it's it's a pretty Western looking nose. Um, but there you go. That, that's my little little t- aside there about uh, Bushy's nose. Um, any thoughts there? Blood connected, confirmed. Connected through through nasal connections. In, in, in medieval... Um, oh, actually, next sentence. In extreme cases, the old man, the wise old man, may be a liminal being such as Merlin, who was only half human. So if folks wondering what does liminal mean well a quick little triple click will uncover liminal beings are those that cannot easily be placed into a single category of existence associated with the threshold state of liminality from latin limen threshold they represent and highlight the semi-autonomous uh, boundaries of the social world liminal beings are naturally ambiguous challenging the cultural networks of social classification so enigmatic beings is like uh miyazaki's purview like to a t you know uh with the uh, german and um these mysterious people uh uh the, the fire keepers etc so i think do you think um it doesn't seem as though we're going to be getting sort of the um the archetypical sort of female uh the female to whom in deference we kneel to receive divine power that we've had for the past couple uh dark souls uh titles do you think bushy may act as uh the leveling up system uh that that person we go to what do you reckon well, we've been told that there isn't going to be any levels. 
Good. Okay. Cool. Uh, but as far as not having the female lead, I I can't possibly believe that won't make a return. That is such a staple of the series. You're going to go over 60? I, I would say 70. Jeez. There's, there's going to be a geisha in this game. <laughs> sort of, uh, the main character. You don't you think we would have seen her earlier in Marketing Man? They want to maybe start ingraining that into uh, into our hearts and minds, or do you think this Game Awards trailer, which is still just rumor now? I mean, I've just started the rumor. They go boom, a rumor uh, that that could be the case. I wonder if we might get um, something like that. Well, then, okay, if she isn't the sort of bestower, as we've seen, you know, the fire keepers and the, the doll be. Um, what do you reckon her actual role could be? This hypothetical geisha woman, maybe a uh, maybe the the young lord's mother. Well, I, I was going to say something very similar. We are the protector of the young lord, but mm. we certainly aren't the one that is teaching him anything. Very, very true. I would love to see that, like a teacher, geisha teacher. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, geisha, I believe that's that's courtesan, right? Um, so, or is it a manner of dress? I have to educate myself about that. Uh, a religious uh, position can be held okay. by geisha. Uh, but it could also be a courtesan. It is de completely dependent on the context. Wow, that's a powerful, powerful notion in in a such a conservative society that they would allow something that broad to be like, hey, you can be, and if you're a geisha, you can be anything from a religious leader to a courtesan. That's very interesting, especially for, you know, I would have associated, you know, from my dives into Japanese culture back in high school, learning it a little bit, then also going there, this sense that there's this, a little bit of rigidity it's loosened up a lot now in recent times but um, have you been to japan at all uh, cameron personally no it is on my list go buddy uh, go one uh, additional fact about uh, geisha is the difference particularly in their dress between uh geisha who worked in a religious environment and geisha who were courtesans was whether the knot was tied behind them or, or in front of them Excellent. Uh, if the knot was tied behind them, it was tied by a fellow geisha, and therefore they were part of the religious infrastructure. But if it was tied in front of them, tied in front of them, then they would have done it themselves, and thus they would be a singular courtesan. That's wonderful reference there. Where did you pick that one up? Just reading or research? Uh, actually, I had a conversation with somebody less than twenty-four hours ago about it, so that is where I picked that up. That's terrific. Uh, you can get your geisha correspondent on the show sometime. <laughs> I will have to send him a message and thank him for that. Awesome. I'll timestamp this so you can send this particular... Uh, well, if you're talking to him now, what would you say? Like him listening to this episode, you can address him directly. Uh, he is currently asleep because it is rather <laughs> late where I am for the average person. You go through the door and you say, I am not going to speak to you. You are asleep. Close the door. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's some shout out. Anyway, um, Cameron's friend, jump on the show. Talk about Geisha. Do it. Um, this character type often explained to the Knights of Heroes particularly those searching for the Holy Grail okay here we go let me start at the actual start of the sentence in medieval chivalric romance and modern fantasy culture the old, the wise old man is often presented as a wizard he can also or, or instead be featured as a hermit there you go ding 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 this character type often explained to the knights or heroes particularly those searching for the holy grail this is, is the significance of their encounters in storytelling the character of the old the wise old man is commonly killed or in some other way removed for a time in order to allow the hero to develop on his or her own so using that as a launching off point we have a few things there my friend do you think bushy gone die 
in this movie or in this game rather uh, I think that he may not be there for a while because the game is already paced in moments of respite and mm. moments of intense turmoil in the form of combat, which I think could be a ludonarrative uh, point just right there. Right there. Absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, explaining the hero's goals, it seems obviously from that monologue, which is so far the only dialogue we've received from the game, um, that you know your death won't come easily you know uh, that 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 wonderful speech and again shout out to the voice actor who do we know yet the voice actor of bush i'm if not we don't, sure that's if we do amazing gravitas so good even though he has a bit of an american twang you know which is a first for the series you know he's uh it's uh, a does, is that it feels a little bit american like it doesn't feel strictly british though his accent that is you know common with the Soulsborne game so it's a bit different well, you also have to consider the uh, nature of the localization mm. because the localization for uh, here in America is this is coming from your place. Yeah. Japan is coming from your place. Mm. Uh, in other titles, they wanted it to seem otherworldly to American audiences by making mm. it not have that same accent, just as it wasn't uh, of the same culture uh, in the place of originality japan hmm. interesting interesting so we'll dive further into jungian psychology as you mentioned we, we launch off into there and please jump in anytime cameron in jungian analytical psychology senex is the specific term used in association with this archetype so sen you can take that etymology wise from senior seniority you know uh, in ancient rome the title of senex latin for old man was only awarded to elderly men with families who had good standing in their village examples of the senex archetyped is a positive form in a positive form include the wise old man or wizard the senex may also appear in a negative form as a devouring father aka uranus or cronus or a doddering fool so gotta park the bus again is this guy gonna be some hidden demon that devours people i'm gonna go over 40 percent on that it's just like the hairy legs the weirdness the there's also stuff we'll talk about later with yokai that he uh, originates from like a bat like yokai that devours people um likelihood of this guy be secretly being a monster what do you think um uh cameron uh, I think that he could be well on the way of degradation. Mm, uh, he does look decaying as, in a bit. As that is, again, a recurring theme in Miyazaki's works, be it becoming an undead, becoming drunk with blood, or in this case, becoming somewhat bestial slash possessed, mm. it seems mm. to be the themes in Sekiro. That's right. Yes, definitely. I would say that, um, I mean... Yeah, this is just an extrapolation, but the idea that I don't want to ascribe too many powers to him that haven't been given evidence in what we've seen. But um, he obviously, and this is not to be like a rote sentence, but he doesn't strike me as just a sculptor. So there is something hidden to him. I, I wonder if he has, uh, if there's this, uh, you know, this subject of, of the, the, the ancient line of blood, you know, the I wonder if he could end up being you know start out as benign and then turn around just like german into malign and um he's aware of the entire plot and maybe even helped um uh, you know the the yashina clan kidnap do you think uh what, are, what what's your over and under for uh, bushi um having secretly allowed in you know uh allowed the yashina clan to abduct the baby uh you know the uh, the young lord well the idea of the yashina clan having more authority that originally seems they're going to have i mm. can't imagine that the 
scope of the game is going to reach very far into the stretches of Japan. I imagine it's yeah. going to be relatively localized. Yeah, it'll be contained. So within that small setting, Dashina may have complete control, and therefore it would stand the reason that everyone would have some sort of dealings with them in the past. Mm. True, true, true. This last little bit here about the doddering fool. Now, we don't know. He doesn't seem like anyone's fool, Sekiro, but uh, we got to talk about Patches. Give me your over and under on Patches appearing in any format, even just the voice, even a note written by someone who sounds like Patches or signs a letter in Sekiro with just a P or something and is clearly written by Patches. Over and under the inclusion of Patches. Go. Uh, he's going to be there. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be called Patches, but I think yeah. he's going to be there. I dig it. I can dig that. There's going to awesome. be some uh, person that you end up uh, starting a confrontation with and they're dressed in rags and they have his voice. That's going, that going to happen. Uh, we're going to get Geisha, Geisha Patches. I'm saying it, Geisha Patches. He's going to be trying to hide. <sighs> it's happening. <laughs> I called it. If I get this right, I'm going to clip this out and put it in like my review for Sekiro. Hell yeah. That's... Patches, Kurtisan, a uh, sex scene confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> First. <laughs> with the centipede dude that's gonna be so fucked up and patches is like well everyone everyone's got to make a living you know <laughs> yeah. all right it's just how you the know you crumbles. have a surprisingly good uh east london accent right there right. listen when it comes to patches him and me are tight that's all we have to do we have to stick together <laughs> he's all right yeah that's cool and mum's english so there you go so all right that's my patches prediction. Double P. You can come and chime in with yours anytime, uh, Cameron. For sure. Uh, okay. Well, oh, I, yeah. what I'm seeing here is uh, automatically like the first couple steps of uh, this man is a shinobi. Yeah. This man has been tasked with uh, guarding the young master. Mm. He has had the young master forcibly removed from him, uh, immediately followed with incredible turmoil of being bested by the enemy's general and yeah. having his arm chopped off obviously and it seems like you are resuscitated with the prosthetic and with bushy already being there hmm. so that's already you're well on your way to forming a narrative from there right that's an entire first act that's it, it absolutely not only a first oh, act, excited. as you say. Yeah, no, I was going to say, sorry to cut, cut, cut you off. I just wanted to like back you up and say that that feels going to go over 60 for that one. That's that's really well laid out. And I think that that's quite uh, makes perfect sense for it to proceed that way. Cameron? Uh, unless, you know, he's pulled a 180 on us and that happens at the end of the game. And we start out as a shinobi toddler. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm personally excited for. Voiced by, and your father is voiced by Liam Neeson. Of course. Yeah, duh. <laughs> duh. Has to be. Has to be. Listen oh, there, no, little don't, Shinobi. Don't let Microsoft become Bethesda. Don't do that. No, I'm kidding. Okay, no. We, we have, we're we going to stay away from that topic just to keep keep out of the politics of it. Um, okay, so in the individuation process, the archetype of the wise old man. By the way, individuation for folks encountering these words for the first time. I keep, keep you folks in mind as well. Um, and it's always worth a refresher. The principle of individuation or principum, principium individuat, 
Tionis describes the manner in which a thing is identified as distinguished from other things. Right, so the process of becoming who you are. Right, in the process of becoming who you are, the archetype of the wise old man uh, was late to emerge and seen as an indication of the self. If an individual has wrestled seriously enough and long enough with the anima or the animus, as you said, Cameron earlier, when he has struggled with life itself and, and overcome it, the unconscious again changes its dominant character and appears in a new symbolic form as a masculine initiator and guardian, an Indian guru, a wise old man, a spirit of nature, and so forth. The antithetical archetype to the old man or the enantiodromic opposite. Can I get a freaking props for not messing that up when I said that? What the fuck is that word? Cheers, I'll accept that. That is a $5 word right there. <laughs> in antiodromia is a principle introduced in the West by psychiatrist Carl Jung that the superabundance of any phenomenon inevitably leads to its opposite. It is similar to the principle of equilibrium in the natural world and that any extreme is often is opposed by the system in, in order to restore balance. I fucking love this. I love um, uh, diametric opposites in symbolism, yin yang and all that. Um, so the senex is the puer aeternus, right, which is Latin for the eternal boy in mythology as a child god who is forever young. So there, here we park the bus again. So we have the young lord there. Do you think that there's a connection between Bushi and the young lord in, in some way where they could be opposites of each other in, in any kind of way where they're antagonistic or in a benign sense where one is the protector of the other? I have complete faith in Miyazaki that the young lord will not be just the princess at the end of the game. He's going to be a fleshed out character mm. throughout some point. Agreed. But as of right now, I, I don't feel that we have any information about him. True. We have implications that he could have supernatural blood. Thank you, Bonnie, mm. for that. Uh, yes. For that thing. But I, it's just it's pure speculation and it's going to be very interesting to see how his character is developed whether he is as pure as he has been made out to be from just his uh royal lineage and the fact that he is very young and assumedly innocent agreed for sure speaking of innocence um i will read a little bit of this because it's a bit of, a bit in the end that i want to read so Puer Aeternus, uh, sometimes shortened to Puer, Latin for eternal boy in mythology is a childlike god, a child god who is forever young. In psychology, it is an older it is an older person whose emotional life has remained at an adolescent level. The Puer typically leads a pro provisional life due to the fear of being caught in a situation from which it might not be possible to escape. He covets independence and freedom, opposes boundaries and limits, and tends to find any restriction intolerable. So obviously the wise old man is always imposing on the warrior, stick to the path and and then sort of has that sort of um instructional aspect to him whereas the opposite is 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 about wandering free so then this leads me to another twist which may come down the line it's the as i call it the garnet twist from final fantasy 9 um uh she wanted to be captured she wanted to be kidnapped do you think there's any any part of that do you think he's a old young lord or young 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 lord has gotten himself into a cult and willingly went with the ashina what's the possibility of that I think that is very possible that they're going to make him at least briefly antagonistic. Uh, okay. Let him know what sort of powers that he has and let him experiment with those and be drunk on that ability. Uh, have him not want to come back. I imagine mm. that will be a Act 2 or middle of Act 2 uh, mm. presentation. I right. Like I said, I have too much faith 
in this studio to think they're going to play it as straight as that. True. So, but I think that might be one element. Okay, cool. And one little extra little teaser here, because we like to do, we go through, see what sort of launches off from there. Because again, just reading up on this material can in sometimes wonderful tangential roundabout ways lead us to conclusions and and, uh, dissections and um, deductions we wouldn't have encountered otherwise. So in diving into the meaning of the word provisional, right, describing the antithesis of the uh, old man, the wise old man, sort of the, the child god, you see the word provisional means temporary, but with the intention eventually becoming permanent or being replaced by a permanent equivalent so um this leads me to think of yeah just that aspect of the child possibly being this thing that the ashina consider to be a means to an end that this uh, child is temporary to them he's, he's not being brought in to be some kind of reincarnated god that literally it's literally it's just their his, his blood that they need um and that they're seeing like that seems to be the sort of a path of of the narrative um and in which case cameron what do you think how that how is that going to unfold and what do you think the ashina might have specifically in mind for the young lord well there's a lot of things the main inclination i had uh for seeing this young boy be stolen would be that he would have some sort of bloodline initiative not having to do with any supernatural issues but he is heir to a very large swath of land with nobody to serve him Hmm. that is a very well respected thing especially within the shogunate that you cannot simply move on to someone else's land without having the proper bloodline so Hmm. child marriage was very popular during that time period that could be a, a very straight take on it like i've said yeah. But I think that that could at least be one of the guises that they play at before revealing their grand narrative. Right. Right, right, my friend. Now, that's I, I find that really compelling. The idea of um, him having maybe, again, another riff is that uh, in line for maybe the, the child not to have known this would happen, maybe the child's father was like had made a deal maybe at the child's birth with the Ashina saying that we will come for him. You know, when when the time is right, when he's of age, we will come for him, and that that's probably maybe why that the you as Sekiro, the his his protector, was assigned to him, almost like the impa to his Zelda, so to speak, um, protecting him because the king knew that this would happen. So, I wonder if uh, again, I just have this idea that um, I mean, I've always just had this idea that uh, patriarchal figures can sometimes betray us in pretty. Uh, pretty awful ways you know and um and the idea of the betrayal coming from one's closest kind of like uh, relatives you know that's very compelling drama and it's all too often happens in the real world you know so what do you think uh was Sekiro's was the the, the young lord's father um in, complicit in in the kidnapping of um of his child uh i would think that there was already pressure on him to accept a deal like that that's that seems very capable to uh, be an aspect of the story i was operating under the assumption i didn't even realize i was operating under this assumption until you pointed out that the father was killed by the ashina clan mm. uh, uh, advent of the story even uh, right. so you brought out my own error in that i was just thinking that was going to be how the story was without uh, examining it pro- properly it's, am I right? Like just diving into all kinds of directions, as long as you have this respect for, you know, keeping the discussion. Again, it's this it's this 
experiential genre which just really really like um fosters just broad-minded thinking and, and just going into all kinds of the directions but it's not to say that like going into these directions like reading articles that one could argue and put their hand up and be like why are you doing this it's led us it's led me for one down more more than on my hand that i could count like avenues that i just simply would not have realized especially in in your company man you you riff so well you bounce things off so eloquently um it's just super enriching to think about all this and frankly a lot of the stuff you've raised has led me to have and i hope obviously for our listeners on this episode um has led them to take paths of thought and, and consideration and and, and dedu- deducing that they wouldn't have taken otherwise so have you sort have been having a bit of that as we've been discussing this man absolutely and one of the main things i've been thinking about is i'm incredibly interested to read the comments and the discussion that this fosters particularly mm. because it is within the community that it is and that's going to happen no matter what but because of the wide range of subjects that we've been delving into absolutely you know what just happened there, Cameron? Um, we've naturally sort of reached, because it is reaching, it, we're just over the two hour mark. We were initially going to keep this to the one hour mark. I think we're going to end up going over the one hour mark pretty regularly, but we'll we'll uh, sort of eschew tradition a teen, teensy bit. We're going to skip a few sections and um, essentially I feel pretty good in tailing off the show now because that was the recording window I had. Now I know because I, I, you're my co-host. Now I know that we're going to, I'm going to book a bit more time next time, <laughs> but um this has been so enriching, my friend. I'm I'm so uh, glad to have gotten you on the show for this uh, for this week's episode. Thank you so much for having me. I have greatly enjoyed our conversation. So good, so wide ranging and uh, elucidating for sure. So, folks, um, traditionally we would usually have theories after this. We have five here hyperlinked in front of me. We'll dive into those on the next entry, and after that, we have also an art an art showcase in Tumblr. We would normally, honestly, have done that, and we there's so so many of them out there. Um, I'll give a few shout outs and comments, of course, but um, we will definitely. Um, this was just generally it is episode one, so we we sort of felt things out. We now have. We now know uh, going forward how much start, uh, time to block out for, for the different segments. Um, and yeah, there would be a QA after that. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, community web members. Do you have a community member that you can mention, buddy? Yes, I did pull up a community member. Give me just one moment to find his post. Go for it. I'm going to fill airtime because I am concerned about boring you. But I No, I got you covered, dude. We also have our good friend, The Editing Machine. It's all good. Absolutely. Uh, that would be. Oh, that is going to be a Norwegian word, so I apologize. That <laughs> Google, uh, three four two. Uh, right. He was just citing a IGN article talking about how the story experience is going to be either very shallow or very in depth, depending on how deeply you dive into it. Mm. Which was a quote from Miyazaki, which I That's love. Right. That's incredible. Because it. It's going to be straightforward enough that you can play through the game once and understand what's happened. It's not going to be a, uh, I've played through Bloodborne by smashed through Garman's dialogue at the end, so I don't (laughs) know what happened the entire time. Uh, I, I very, I like that quote quite a bit. So the Nibelungen, uh, three, four, two, who linked that on Reddit. Thank you very much. Shout out to you, my friend, and you are um, Cameron's nominated and my nominated, the show's nominated, um, uh, fan of the week. So that's you. Um, For creator, I'm going to look through here, and it's not going to be just me picking the first one. By the way, mini shout out to Leviathan, which is great. Uh, Oh, by the way, Nibelunglied is uh, in his name, uh, the person, the fan of the week. That's um, a reference to that Germanic text. You probably know that, right? 
the one that uh, uh, Dark Souls one? is. Yeah, it's Dark Souls inspired by this Germanic uh, sort of uh, the epics of uh, uh, Germanic. It's like Lee Li- oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so shout out to the okay, user as well. I didn't see that uh, that wordplay there. Thank you. Yeah, this is all good. Then Leviathan says Sakira's eyes glow in the pitch dark. It seems so. I'm just filtering from new on the I'm, as I'm looking through the artist. That's pretty awesome, man. As we're tailing things off, I figured I'd mention that to you, Cameron. Like, so Sakira's eyes glow. What do you think of that? Beast, beasthood, potentially. Uh, any similarities to The Witcher Three? I always like. <laughs> oh, exactly with the ponytail. See how see how little fuck they gave. It's like we don't we literally don't give a shit uh, that there was a uh, a feudal Japan set game that had a dude with with sort of silver hair in a ponytail, which was which was Neo. They're like, bye, see you later. We're, we're just doing we're literally doing our own thing, and it is distinctive and idiosyncratic and 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 um hyper real enough for me that it's just immediately the most compelling ironically if you stick too close to the sort of set kind of imagery that we've seen before it just i lose a bit of interest because i i really love like from software's like would you agree man pretty unequivocally like from software's boss design enemy design is just literally like second to none i i no, no smoke blowing here but genuinely like just the most impressive and memorable amazing boss designs what do you think man uh, the body language of the villagers in Yarnum in the very first couple minutes of Bloodborne. <sighs> Away! Away! <laughs> is just my most favorite thing in all the video games, other than That's maybe Gwen. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. I can dig that. I can so dig that. Um, that's awesome, and I, I completely agree, for sure. So, the artist of the week 15 days ago even though it's not the artist of the week i just couldn't find one but this is the reason i'm giving this one is because i posted about them it's vince price right as in vincent price shinobi execution i've just named it that here beautiful 15 days ago i'll put a link to it and uh so yeah both of those people's names should be on the screen now uh um yeah vince price thank you so much for for your art i believe that's from instagram there and um and lieb lieb lieblung i'll just call him i'm from the reddit so i'll pop I'll pop your name there uh, on the screen. So that really actually does bring us, my friends, to the end of the show. Okay. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in, listened, followed along with the show in general. I really, really don't take it for granted. Okay. Um, And if you wanted to go ahead and like, share, if you did enjoy the video, go ahead and like, share, subscribe, and hit the bell button here on YouTube and on podcast services. uh, If you would leave a uh, star rating and review would be amazing. We'd sincerely appreciate it and also read it out on the show. And if you want to ensure this podcast continues and to help the network grow, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash interactive artistry for a variety of exclusives, perks, privileges, and early access. If you'd like to get in touch with myself or uh, Cameron, Cameron, I'll throw it to you first. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, where, where can they reach you? On Reddit is the most open and public way to reach me. I am user CNC3. Uh, that will most likely be linked in the video, so you can see it there. Yeah, it'll be linked there. And that just for people who are spelling things out, S-A-N-C-I-E-3, right? So if you do want to get in touch with Interactive Artistry, uh, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. I mentioned the other two before, so it's also here on the screen. The Tumblr is simply interactiveartistry.tumblr.com. Interactive Artistry is a podcast network comprised of over 30 shows uh, on a single podcast feed with more coming on the way. And we are currently looking for hosts, as I mentioned. So if you're interested, please do get in touch um, via contact at interactive-artistry.com or interactive-artistry.com forward slash contact. Uh, And yeah, as I mentioned, any of the social media outlets there. So 
My friend, do you want to leave the audience with anything? Any sort of parting words of wisdom or anything from the games you want to sort of uh, tantalizingly leave off, leave them off with, you know? Oh, that is a very interesting question. Hmm. Give me just one moment and I'll try to think of something sufficient. Sure. That's all good. You'll learn to appreciate its worth. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Play off of that. Okay. Any words Miyazaki says, you will learn to appreciate their worth. Yes, I think I'm, that, that's 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 good for me. That's 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 a that's a wrap, my friends. Okay, have a fantastic rest of the day, everyone tuning in. Cameron, have a have a great rest of your day. Until next time, bye for now, and remember, your death will not come so easily. <laughs> very well thanks very well let's get your uh, volume a little bit higher than that one there let's put, put yourself up maybe a couple notches and just say anything now okay how about this okay that's a bit better yeah it just is a little bit higher and i think then we're pretty much good to go <laughs> there there how about that there we go there we go say the following sentence so i can just check sound waves uh miyazaki is an extremely talented games developer just say that sentence Miyazaki is the most talented games developer. <laughs> nice, I like the riff. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's that's coming in. That's coming in nice. You could risk to put yourself a little bit higher though, just the teensiest bit. Then I think we're good to go. All right. Now just say something now. I'm trying to see how to. Oh, that's that's that's. That. Yeah, I think you can do it either on the Skype itself or just in your system settings. Yep, Skype is maxed out, so I will just... Skype, Skype is maxed out? No, in that, in that case, I will lower myself, so it's all good. Yeah, and then I'll just put us both up later in the edit. Too easy, man. How's your day been so far? Absolutely fantastic. Very much. That's awesome. For me, it's nighttime, so... Okay. It's been a full day. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know... What time is it there, by the way? 11. 11 okay well let's get cracking so we'll get you into bed <laughs> too easy man well um the easiest thing for me to do is going to be to bring up show notes that i sent you on the reddit right and then we'll basically just go from there precisely too easy and i'm going to quickly do that now all right um so have you checked out any of the sort of previous um episodes that i've made on the channel yes i've watched the sakiro uh, series Okay, fantastic. Too easy. Nice. I wonder if I can put my volume down. Oh no, if I put my volume down then actually I will put my volume down on the uh on the old uh microphone that I have here. Easy. So, uh, have you sort of um been thinking about getting into um sort of podcasting and anything like that? I've been an avid uh consumer, but never Yes. That's fine. That's uh, I think you make the transfer pretty well so far. You know, I've had some hosts that have kind of wigged out on me very, very early. And again, tweet there and some people aren't cut for it. But uh, you seem to have a bit of a uh, scholarly vibe to you. So it's going to be good to throw you a, a few um, a few um, angles on what we've seen so far from Sekiro. Definitely in relation to some of the archetypes we talked about. And, um, and in terms of, yeah, everything we've sort of seen revealed. I'm assuming you've probably read all of the interviews and such, right? Yes. All the interviews that say the exact same thing. <laughs> you know, 
he's been very good about keeping all of his games secreted. I love it though. Yeah, see. So. You're absolutely right. You're totally right. And I might say that, but it's always that double-edged thing of like, I'm happy. And yet I will also say like, yeah, I've probably read about 10 interviews where it's Kitao saying, um, yes, and we have this mechanic called the Shinobi Death Blow. And it's like, I've just had those words ingrained into my brain because I've read them so often. The other side of that, obviously, is that I do appreciate the secrecy. And I know you will as well. We both will when we're playing this thing. And then that... Uh, you know, I'm assuming you've played Bloodborne, right? Of course. Yeah, when that, uh, let's just call it the, um, you know, the the, the va- Rom the Vacuous Spider moment happens, you know? Yes, the Blood Moon. Yes, that's right. So we're going to have one of those happening. Okay. Okay, I think we're pretty much ready to start. I'm just going to find me old, uh, me old show notes here. I've, I've sent them to you, but I figured, like, why not just read the ones that I've actually sent you so we're pretty much reading the same thing? Do you have them brought up in front of you? Yes, yes, I do. Terrific. Easy peasy. Radio. Okay. All right, all right. Thanks for bearing with me, man, as I get started. You are absolutely I just have to fine. Bring up... process. Yes, that's right. I just have to bring up all the things. Okay. One second. And are you a night owl? Do you stay up usually? I work nights, so I'm nocturnal. There you go. There you go. Well, I think that suits perfectly then. And hopefully I won't take you too much out of the way of your um, usual usual schedule, man. You are absolutely fine. Too easy. All right. Now, just for my own little, this is behind the scenes of the podcasting world. Uh, just have to get this uh, intro down and then from there we're good to go. So just going to little mini rehearsal to myself. So what's up, everyone? And welcome to the Sekiro podcast, episode five. It is five today, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, and today is Sunday, the 25th of November, 25th. I'm just adding my little notes here. Sunday. And hey, my friend. Uh, say again. How's the future, man? The future. Whoa, exactly. No, I'm envious. You guys still have a, I'm assuming you're in the US. Yes. Yeah, you guys get, you're in, it's Saturday for you guys. It's Sunday for us. So we, we're the one who are crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, can you ask, if you do have Siri or something nearby, just ask how many days until the 22nd of uh, February? I mean, I can do it on my end. I absolutely can do that. Okay, Google. How many days until February 22nd? Ninety, precisely. Oh my gosh! I'm adjusting this from 104 to 90. This it's screaming past, man. This year has been so fast. Too crazy. Okay, and what, I'm calling you Cameron, aren't I? Uh, whatever you would prefer. I have no preference. I will go. We'll go, Cameron. Sansi sounds a little bit. It's kind of cool. You could come off as like French and like a French Sansi, uh, my friend from France. You know, like a male name. You know, but uh, I think Cameron. I think that should be that should work, right? Yes, that works just as well. Okay, fantastic, and I'm good to go. All right, and three. Have a good show, man. Two. All right, and three, and two, and one. And remember, what's up, to everyone? Okay, now I'm going to edit this because I had something in mind that I wanted to say. Why don't I do this? Listen, Cameron, we were were tailing things off so well, but I'm OCD. I literally had to stop the show and be like, there's something that I actually want to say at the end of each of these shows. And it's so daggy. It's that line. What is it? It's the Bushy's line about, uh, 
uh, your death won't come too, so easily. What is the exact line? Damn it. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was just, just that, but with dramatic timing. Oh, okay. Okay. Death, All right, cool. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll just record that one again. Okay, and I'll put this in the bloopers or something. Until then. Exactly. Until next time. Done. All right. Cameron, how did you like your first episode of the Sekiro podcast? It was fantastic. Uh, Yeah. I noticed that uh, our trains of thought align in very interesting ways. Mm, I noticed that too. Our diatribes are much longer than the actual content we were covering. <laughs> it was fun. I think it was enriching both for you and I. And I, I would dare say because of the tangents we go down, it's never out of like time wasting or really genuinely like disrespecting the audience's time. It's because these things we're just being natural. And um, but it all it is, I feel, always within that sphere of what we're talking about. And um, I think it's additive. Do you believe it's additive, Cameron? Uh, most definitely it's additive out of the like maybe... 20 minutes of official content that we have <laughs> this for hours and we've covered maybe action yeah uh, talk about where the game's release and definitely less than what we had originally planned if we had followed the entire notes people still listening to this little post-show blooper whatever um we would have definitely gone into like the three hours but uh yeah we'll we'll start things out as we may we'll figure out the structure we'll tighten things up as we go but for the rest man you cameron have been awesome i'm so grateful to have uh, met you on the sub to have jumped on this as co-host um i think uh i think this is a cool little um kind of gift from the universe to for kindred people to meet each other um and no better place than somewhere like the Sekiro. um subreddit such a great bunch of people there man yes yes they are great uh communication there and lots of good theories for sure and it's only like we haven't seen anything yet as soon as that uh third trailer or whatever rolls by and then definitely the when that thing freaking releases to the world we're gonna see some amazing like upsurge and subs more discussions but um so yeah one other thing i'll just say dude um audio actually i managed to work a lot of it on my end just like really well if you do have any kind of headset for next time definitely like just like whack that guy into the three millimeter jack and um we'll use that one instead yes i i am using a headset but it's a rather subpar microphone so i will <laughs> dude appreciate it anyway have a fantastic rest of the night be well have a nice huge sleep in because frick oh jealous jealous you get to sleep in as long as you want uh we have a work tomorrow here in australia so enjoy your sunday and i'll catch up with you next time absolutely thank you for having me again peace brother till next time bye